Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode 209, Benny the Snellephant. My name is Matthew Turner, alongside Anthony Fitzpatrick and Ashley Soden. How are you doing, boys? Doing good, doing good. Doing good, thank you. Yeah, good weekend, can't complain. It's always good. It's it's technically a victory Monday, so, you know, first of many this season, so nothing, no, nothing to complain about. And hopefully the first of many victory Fridays as well. We've got a few Thursday games to look forward to, so I hope to keep that up as well. Of course, we are going to be talking about preseason game one at home against the Giants. We're going to be breaking down the joint practices sessions as well. We're going to be reviewing the news and we'll be talking about all of the press conferences as we go. Hope you've had a great weekend and we're going to get going as we always do. With a bit of preamble, letting you know what we're up to. Discord channel, of course, is the main place to be to hang out with us all the way through the season. And there's about a hundred other people in there now, some really great characters in there. So if you want to join a uplifting and great community Lions fans, I'll pop Discord link in the live chat now. Come say hi. We'd love to see you there. College Football Podcast is going strong, reviewing, previewing the college season as we come up to the start. And you just did the pack, I believe. No? No, we're on the American right American, now. American, my bad. We Which... talked about we talked about the demise of the pack last yes. week for the conference previews of the American. We did the first half. Second half is going to be tomorrow, I think, because I'm working Wednesday and Friday, Thursday. I just need to sort it with Ryan. So there we go. Yeah, the Americans next week. Then we're going to have the Mac one, and then the entire G5 storm. We're going to do that with James, hopefully as usual, and then it's time to talk about our predictions for the season. And the season begins, so we're, we're nearly there. It's only about a week and a half till college football starts now. So oh, we it's come up quick. We're very close. Very very close. All right. Uh, please don't forget to like the show and sub to the podcast and give us a rating and a review. You know how much it helps out the small guys like us. Every single one counts. So we thank you in advance, just like Brent, who's given us a review on our feedback form that we've got in the description down below. Now it's not public, but it is just your way of telling us what you'd like us to improve or just to give us a bit of a G up. And he said, this has become my favorite channel on YouTube. These lads do their research are insightful and hilarious at times. Taking exception to the at times, but you know. And he said, if you think Brits don't know American football, then you haven't watched the quality videos these gentlemen put out week after week. Great job, guys. Keep up. Appreciate you, Brent. means a lot to us to read that on my afternoon before prepping this. So thank you for that. Um, Of course, we are uh, a member of Lions Nation Unite. They've launched their Facebook group and you've got lots of great content creators there making stuff on behalf of them. It's Homer Moore's project to bring the best in Lions content creators together. So go and join the Facebook group now. Lions Nation Unite. We're also Twitch affiliates and YouTube monetized. And there's a tip jar down below. If you enjoy what you see, what you listen to, then don't forget to show us some love. Let's get on with the news. And we've got a lot of news to get through, boys. So let's hit the entirety of the roster news to begin with. We've signed 
the tackle, Bobby Hart, running back Divine Ozigbo, quarterback Teddy Bridgewater on a one-year up to $5 million deal with $2.5 million guaranteed, the running back Benny Snell, for which the episode is named, cornerback Colby Richardson and centre Alex Millette also joined today. Outgoing, we waived the long slapper Jake McQuaid shortly after we spoke seven days ago. So it seems like a long time ago, but it is since we last spoke. We also have let go of the wide receiver Avery Davis, although he was re-signed today. Was yeah. he? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I missed that. Um, the guard Logan Stenberg, who has since been claimed by the Chicago Bears, I'm sure he will do great things for us there. The cornerback Tay Hayes has been claimed by Baltimore. We've also let go of the center Ross Pierce Baker with an injury settlement after he got injured in the preseason game. And the wide receiver Trey Quinn with an injury. We also have had Justin Jackson, the running back, go into retirement and we wish him well. We've also re-signed to a two-year extension worth up to $14 million with $8.1 million guaranteed the wide receiver and all-pro punt returner Khalif Raymond. And just to let you know as well that today there has been a bug going around camp affecting them this weekend and today. So Gibbs, Sutton and Breeze at least have been affected and we did not train today. Hutchinson's got a bum ankle, but it's not expected to be serious. And also Mosley, the prize new cornerback, is expected to be out a while. So we'll see what happens with that, boys. One other piece of news, I'll discuss that right at the end, but lots of incomings and outgoings, boys. And I want to start and by talking about Logan, just as someone that we've kind of been hanging on to for a while. And it feels like a real shame that we've kind of waited for him to almost break out into that lineup. And he's threatened every now and again, but unfortunately this is the end of the road for him here. It's such a bastard coming to me first with this. <laughs> yes. The presence of his fan club. Yes, I am the presence of his fan club. And I, you know what? I will still maintain to this day I am disappointed. I'm disappointed because I still believe that Logan is capable of doing good things in this league. We know that he can fit in this offensive line with the run game. They, that's not a problem. It's always been sort of the, the pass pro aspect of it that he's just never really been able to, to pick up. And, you know, when, when you're going into year, what, four now, if you're still lacking on some of the fundamental techniques, if you're still struggling, then unfortunately it, it's going to be a bit of an uphill struggle from there onwards. So, you know, it's, it's sad because I can see a player in there, but eventually you have to say enough is enough with some guys and, and you've just got to move on. And, you know, Logan's not on his own on the offensive line where that sort of line needs to be taken. And I, I, I imagine we will see a lot of movement on that line before this is all said and done. Um, but, you know, I hope he does well with the Bears. I do. I think he'll fit better there because they run the ball a lot. Fields is mobile, you know, you saw them against the Titans the other day. They were they were blocking a lot in the wrong game. That that'll suit him more. And as much as I hate the Bears, like physically hate the Bears, I, I do hope he goes and does well there because I still like Logan and I, I wish him all the best. So, but for us, it's time to change because we need better depth here. Um, and, and you know, we need more reliable depth as well. So we, we've just got to start letting some of these guys go now. And we've got to start trying to get new guys in, letting the rookies give them a chance. And then we, we'll see where we go with it. So best of luck to you, Logan. But yeah, the, the time was the time was now for him. Yeah, it's unfortunate. As we say, we put a lot into him. Remember, he was drafted above 
Jonah, if I remember rightly, I think he was a third round pick. Jonah was a fourth round pick. Was it Jonah was a third? Jonah was a third as well. Logan was were a they, fourth. Were they in the same draft class? Yeah. No. Yeah, they were. Were they? I don't yeah. think they were. Were they? Yep. Jonah was a higher draft pick. Jonah was a round three pick. Logan was a fourth or a fifth. Uh, Gonna have to check this out. Uh, yep, Jonah was pick seventy five. Logan was well one twenty one. So okay, uh, both in twenty twenty. Because they both were in the senior bowl together. That's why we picked both. Right, one. that makes sense. There we go. Your knowledge, one. your memory is so much better than mine. I should not. I mean, I've got, I've got the I've got the order mixed up. I thought that Logan was higher. For, I guess it was just regarding how because you say Jonah obviously transferred to Ohio State that year before Logan mm. had already played Kentucky. But as we said, as and put it pretty fairly to be honest, run game brilliant. Needs to work on that pass pro, and it just never got there. Like the guy got two zero pass blocking grades from PFF last year. It's just not going to cut it with how much we have. We want to rely on the pass, but and also says Bears are great at running the ball. That's pretty much all they can do, it seems. I know, obviously, they're two long touchdowns against the Titans at the weekend, but certainly there's a look at how many air yards run those passes and come back to me, I guess. Half joking because I am totally not scared that DJ Moore could actually get some in Catfields. But oh, yeah, hopefully Logan does well at the Bears, but obviously not too well that the Bears suddenly break out and become an offensive juggernaut. Just does well enough that he keeps on their roster. But isn't too nothing too special like that sort of mid, nice middle ground. That's what mm. we're hoping for. The Titans suck balls. There's no way we'll struggle <laughs> against. There's no way we'll struggle against that screen pass as much as they did. Especially not with all the players we've got in this team now. They don't. They don't oh. take no fool. They don't take no fools on screen passes. Exactly. They don't take say... prisoners. It's it's execution. No prisoners here. Oh yeah. Well, we all saw what Brian Branch does to screen passes. That was. Absolutely fantastic. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Ash, I'll come back to you to talk about these two signings and re-signings. Bridgewater on that five, uh, one-year, five mil, two and a half guaranteed, and Raymond, the two-year extension, 14 with 8.1 guaranteed. What do you make of them? Bridgewater, so, like, I thought he was going to get more. I remember he got a seven and a half, all fully guaranteed from the Miami Dolphins last year, something like that. So to get him on 1.5 million, 2.5 guaranteed, and I think... It's come out since that from over the cap that actually half a million is a void year next year. So it actually spreads the cap out even more. That's such a good contract for someone who, honestly, I would have as a top 32 quarterback in this league. He should be starting somewhere. He's better than some of the guys other teams are going to be trotting out this season. So to get him backing up Goff, after what we saw, unfortunately, from Sudfeld, we'll come on to that later, the signing just makes so much sense now. And... Touch wood, nothing ever happens to Goff. But if we did, if something did, we don't have to fully panic because Bridgewater can sort of stabilise us and keep us churning along and hopefully pushing towards the playoffs and beyond. And then for Khalif, as we discussed it on Friday, such a good re-signing. I know we're going to come on to Dan's comments about it later, but this guy who was cut by the Titans was told, oh yeah, you've got the speed, you're good at punt return, just don't have enough to be a wide receiver. And he came in, he was basically our wide receiver, one for the first half of the first year of this regime, where Tyrell Williams had that unfortunate concussion in week one. Brashad Perriman never made it up to the initial 53, and Amon Ra just wasn't up to speed yet. Leaf was just going out there week after week with all the attention and still performing. Great in punt return. As a wide receiver, he's 
arguably wide receiver three for us. So for him to get this sort of go from being a vet minimum guy to having a medium-sized contract with some performance-based bonuses that came up for him, it's now being paid seven million a year AAV. Just such a good signing for us. But I do take exception to actually refer to in the earlier the way it was reported as if it was he's just a punt returner when he's just so much more for us. And I'm so happy he's going to be sticking around a lot longer. Amp, what do you make of it? Um, oh, Teddy, yeah, no, it's good. It's what we needed. There were, there were a few obvious deficiencies on this team, apart from quarterback too, and, and we needed to make a splash there because this season is absolutely critical to the franchise. We, we've got to win the NFC North this year, and we don't want to get to week three, you know, lost a couple of games, Goff goes injured, and then throw away the whole season. We just simply cannot afford that. So you've got to put someone in there who can win your games and and you got and you know you have to pay him like you make him feel he's worth it as well. You can't just lowball him and say you want this. It's like give him a decent amount of money, give him incentives in case he does have to come in and play and he can make himself a bit more. You know, it's it's good for him and it's good for us. So I like the value and you know, it's just one year, you know, it's five hundred grand next year, you know. So it's inoffensive to the future. It's for the now without compromising the future. And those sort of moves I'll always applaud. Brad Holmes is the best at those. Getting in those guys for one-year deals, trying them out, filling a need on this team, but then to the point where you can go and sort it out next year if it doesn't work. So it's a good contract. Khalifa's is a good contract as well. We need reliable depth in the wide receiver room right now, especially with all the the lower depth guys getting injured and the higher depth guys suspended. So, you know, you need those solid, reliable guys in the middle who can do more than one task for you there. And and Khalif does. He he does a lot for this team. And, you know, we're going to need him these first six weeks. So to get the deal done now, that gives him a level of confidence going into the season. He's he's secure. He's got a two-year deal. He can go out there, play without pressure and just be the best guy he can. And if he is, then... You know, it'll be huge on this team, won't he? And we'll probably end up calling the contract to steal. So a couple of smart bits of, of business there by Brad. Yeah, thanks very quickly to T-Bone7698 on Twitch, who's gifted a tier one sub to Chromon. Much appreciated, T-Bone. That's huge for us. So thank you. Um, yeah, I, I love both bits of business. When... When we thought that Teddy was incoming, I thought it would be a waste of money, frankly. And I still, in my heart of hearts, kind of think that if if Goff goes down for more than two games, I still think we're in a bad place. Teddy didn't have a good year last year, and I'm not sure that that was a blip. But for the, let me get it right, 46th highest contract at quarterback out of 116 per over the cap, you can't turn that down. That's exceptional value for someone who might be able to steady the ship over a couple of games. If Goff goes down for a month, he gives you a better shot than Nate Sudfeld does. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But for Khalif, and I I don't know whether I said this, I think I said this on stream on Friday for the preseason game, but Khalif Raymond is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. You saw how much separation he was managed to get on not insignificant reps on offense last year. He played a reasonable amount, not a huge amount, but a reasonable amount on offense. 
and he was getting a ridiculous amount of separation on routes because the off- uh, the defense just doesn't really take notice of him and he's so much quicker than people give him credit for especially he's he's fast and quick you know so he's getting these these breakaway speeds especially on play action stuff where he throws in a double moves he's basically unguardable so Getting him in there, I think he would be like a low-end wide receiver too for the majority of NFL teams. And he's coming in here, and I know that Ash said he's a wide receiver three, but frankly, when when J-Mo comes back, he's a wide receiver four for us. But he's a low-end wide receiver two in terms of quality. So to get him at seven mil a year, and it's just amazing for him too, he got a two-year six million dollar deal. Previously, that's what he's currently playing out. He's four million against the cap this year. I'm presuming with the eight mil guaranteed, he'll be four mil against the cap in this year coming up. Over the cap doesn't have the fresh contract numbers yet. Spot track might have them, I'm not sure. But for him Mm. to parlay that into the same cap number he has this year with upside to do better, and I've got no doubt he's going to do it. It's amazing that in relief, when JMO goes down, we can call upon someone of his caliber, and he just wants to be here, and isn't that? So damn refreshing. So congrats to him. Absolutely love it. Lots of other moves, boys. Any other thoughts on anyone coming in? I know that um, Ozigbo and Snell both had reasonable carries in the preseason game, but without betraying too much of that earlier, some of the the waivers that we've let go or Hart coming in or any, any thoughts from any of that group? There's a lot of kind of camp bodies coming in and out at the minute, isn't it? There's, there's, there's not really... A great deal there, you know, a few people taking knocks, so you immediately get new guys in, see what they've got with them. You're kind of at the point now where if someone gets injured and they're not going to feature much more, it's like, well, waste of a spot. We need another guy. We need 92 guys on the roster, who, well, 90 guys on the roster who can compete now. So, yeah, there'll be loads of these, especially with no roster cutdowns this year until obviously the last one before you were sort of handicapped as to how much you could do now you can keep the full 90 for the entire preseason i think you're going to find teams are a lot more liberal in making tons of these little minor transactions here and there with injured guys and that so there's this there's, there's nothing really big in there just um you know surprising the long snapper left so early but you know it's that that seems to have been sewn up nice and early so yeah no no worries there but yeah i I just expect to see a ton more of these moves before before time's done. Yeah, same pretty much. Like, well, proof of that is the fact that obviously everyone was, uh, was like surprised that came out when you read that Avery Davis was resigned today. It's just one of them where it's just recycling part of the roster guys. So Trey Quinn, fortunately, seemingly gets injured in preseason game. So we quickly call up Avery Davis, who obviously we released earlier last week and was like, oh, yeah, spot's open back up for you. Do you want to come back? He's probably, as we say, like he's in the bottom 10, 15 on the roster. He's here trying to fight to make a spot in a very hard room because, as we'll get on to later, some wide receivers who, honestly, even I had written, like we would all written off, thought, oh, yeah, they're bottom of the roster guys, really stepped up and put their name out there to maybe fight for that sort of wide receiver five, six role. So Davis might not make it. Probably the same with everyone we resigned outside of the obviously signed, except for Teddy. But that's just how it is. It's going to be fun to see these battles happen because, come, uh, as they keep saying, they said it last year with the linebacker room, and this year it seems to seemingly happening with the safety room, the wide receiver room, and the lower level running back room. Competition breeds excellence. So let's see what excellence comes out of this. 
The final bit of news to report is, you might have seen it if you watched a preseason game, but the Lions are inducting former Lions offensive tackle, 10-year vet of the Lions, and current colour commentator Lomas Brown into the pride of the Lions. And he, they actually made him available for the press conference after the game. And I've got some quotes from him here. There wasn't much from him, but he did say, well, he walked into applause from the from the media guys. And I don't think I've ever seen the media guys clapping someone to the podium before. So that was refreshing. And he said, don't make me blush, please, which was just a beautiful moment. He said, I was speechless. It's an honor to go up there with some of the greats of the game. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to cherish it. He said about Detroit, this is home for me. It has been since I retired. Now when I walk into the stadium, I can look up and see my name up there amongst the rest of the legends. And he said he was shocked to see his family. Everyone was in on it but me. He said, I should have seen it coming. They let me valet park today. They never let me do that, which was just so funny. Boys, did you see the Rod Wood kind of surprising him in the box and then the dedication video? Because it was something very heartfelt and, and heartwarming. Yeah. yeah. Like, he deserves it, doesn't he, Lomas? He's, he's been such a star for this side. There was some very, very murky times, like most of them have, and he deserves no more than this. I just love how they come up with all these, like, nice ways to do it. Like, like remember with Spielman, they put it on the teleprompter when he was doing his speech. Yeah, that was then, so great. Yeah, that's so good. And oh. then now they've sort of surprised Lomas while he's colour commentating and stuff like that. It's it's little things like that. Just just finding your own personalised way to send them in and, and show that you appreciate them. And, you know, sort of the newfound confidence around here is all due to the fact that the team and its its veteran stars are all as one now. And now it's like you're, introdu- you're inducting him in there. He's still very much part of this team, cares about it. You know, just sort of gives off the happy vibes that you really want. And, and like I say, he's earned it. He was a fantastic player and absolutely worthy of going in. Yeah, bit of what answer. I can't put it any better. All right, let's crack on then with the game review. And then we're going to talk about training camp. And then we're going to go into the press conferences. And just to say this at this point, if you guys have any questions in the live chat, as always, don't forget to at Roar of the Lions UK in the respective chats, because it helps me see the questions so that I can wheel back to them when we get there. For the game itself, finished 21 to 16 to the Lions at halftime. It was 13 to 3 to the Giants. So the Lions go on an 18 to 3 run in the second half. And boys, it started off a bit ropey with the Lions turning the ball over from a Nate Sudfeld interception. He was being hit from behind after a really bad rep by uh, Matt Nelson at left tackle. So it left Sudfeld basically in no man's land, but he still threw the pick. And then on the second series, the Lions on their own 31-yard line decide to go for it on fourth down and fail after a a throw to Sam Laporta was actually on target. And despite tight coverage, it's the ball we should really be dragging in. We took chances because we knew the game, the result didn't matter. But to give the Giants two offensive possessions within the 30 in the first five minutes didn't feel like a good start. You could you could tell the difference between the two units. Obviously, the offense is quite rounded out now. So many of the starters weren't in there because they were already decided. And that showed on the field because, like you said, the offense was clunky and disorganized as anything that I've ever seen out there. Like you said, that first play alone, Nelson gets absolutely bodied. Sutfeld throws it in in double coverage. It's just a bad play from the pair of them and just sets the tone off. 
And then, like you say, on the second play, you know, we nearly get Jameer Gibbs seriously injured. I, I don't know what the hell happened there. I went back and watched it, but you had Brock Wright, who kind of pulled across for a run block and left one guy, just literally his guy stood across him free to go make the tackle. And then on the other side, the left tackle, Nelson and whoever was out there, the receiver, just kind of ran past the blocker from there. They had two guys free to go and absolutely banjax Jameer Gibbs. And you're like, that's a star investment right there. And it just looked disorganized. It looked like they had no idea what they were doing. The play was just absolutely busted. And then on the, the snap after that, Sudfeld gets hit by a free blitzer who's not picked up. The play after that, the Laporta drop, Nelson gets bodied again, and Sudfeld gets hit massively after that throw. I know it, it was still his fault, the throw, but it's like two times in four plays, Nelson gets bodied and it ends up costing Sudfeld with a big hit, and it's just like, it was really, really bad. They looked like they didn't know what they were doing. They had the jips, because most of them are backups, and they've just not played a lot. Then you look on the other side of the ball, the defense, you know, a lot of them guys have seen serious starter reps on there. You've got Rodrigo in, you've got Barnes in, you've got guys on the D-line who are in there. You know, and obviously they're playing because the unit's not been as good. There's a lot more rookies in there. They need some more game time. And, you know, the very first play after Sudfeld throws that pick, and we're in really bad field position, the first play Barnes comes up, makes a big stop on the running back. It's something we've not seen from him, but he was very patient. Hits the gap, hits the running back, stops him there. Next play, books, hand up, pass block, you know, bats the pass down. And then the third play, Coverage really good from the secondary. The D-line is hustling like it was all game, runs them out of play. And it's like every aspect of that defense was working and playing hard and kept them to the field goal. And then on the second set of reps for the defense, they're in our, you know, they got two starts in our half of the field. They're defending two short fields. And then on the second route, you've got Branch with that huge golf hit that he lays down that everyone's talking about setting the tempo. Then the D-line draws a holding call because the offensive line can't deal with them. They're putting that much pressure on. Then you get Kamish making a tackle for loss on a screen because he doesn't bite on a fake. You know, the intensity is there. And then even Will Harris comes in. He gets stiff-armed and then comes back, makes a tackle, field goal again. And the defense is just, it was all beans. It was all juice. It was so different in approach there because the defense, like I say, that's a lot of them are going to be starters and they're going to be playing and you can see that in the offense. They were not. So as, as bad as the offense was, I was really impressed with how the defense started and played most of that game. They were really damn good. But yeah, the offense was trash. Yeah. So to sort of, I hate to go against you guys and to be like a, some mm, actually guy, but having watched back the Laporta drop, I'm going to put inverted commas in that, and I have got a screenshot like I put in the Discord. It was punched out. He did catch it. And then sort of the back end, you can see, I'm going to hold up the screenshot. You can see, I'm going, you can see the ball being punched out by the Giants defender. So it actually wasn't mm. a drop. It was a very good pass breakup by the Giants defender. So not to ride on it. Because again, because when I was searching Twitter to see if I could find the picture, sort of bring it up. Supposedly there was people calling into Detroit radio today, already comparing him to a certain Eric Ebron. Over one oh, preseason game, well, one. Just, ninety-seven point. That's ninety-seven point one. They're not real people. Let's just <laughs> those people back there are not real. That's that's oh, what, that's what oh, it is God, with he's... them. 
great cultural reference there, and so I applaud it. <laughs> but yeah, but you have it one hundred percent right. Like me and Matt was uh, me and Matt was sitting here, and it was just offense could not get much going, and but the defense just played so well. Like I remember that after that second time where we forced him to a field goal, I, I did turn around and they say, I'm not saying the defense is going to be better than the offense, but the chance of that happening is a lot better, a lot more than we thought. Because, oh my God, did they ball. As you say, that branch hit, which was the hit that reverberated around the world for a bit. <laughs> beautiful play. Commission, what he did, beautiful play. That off, like, yeah, there were some bad points. I know that the person who I keep harping on about and defending, Will Harris, did have a really bad game overall. Like, he was the worst rated by PFF. But you say, even he made good plays. Was he? Yes. I didn't he even know the... that. I didn't even know that. And I'm the 30... most critical one of him there. 34.6. He was like, yeah. re- he was like the worst rated guy. Even he, I didn't even think he had. I'm his biggest critic, and I didn't even think he had a bad game. I thought we were all right. Oh no, Harris was pretty, pretty shocking. And you yeah. know that I'm a Will Harris defender, but I the think, very I think, first play he. Committed, I, I think uh, I've just, I think I've just numbed myself. I'm just like, right, I'll let people with a more nuanced view talk about him because I'm probably gone over the boundary a bit. Oh yeah. So very first play of the game on defense, he committed illegal contact. And I was like, yeah. here we go again. <laughs> exactly. The yeah. GTA meme came up in my head. <laughs> oh she here we go again. <laughs> yeah, that is Will Harris every time he steps on the field, to be honest. Um, I didn't write one negative tweet about him. That's what I'm going to say. So I'm, pr- uh, I'm very know, proud of you. I, did, I didn't say and a single thing about you're, him. You're showing growth as a human being, and I'm here for it. <laughs> Safe. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the on... ultimate backhanded compliment there. That's just saying you're a scumbag, but you're getting better. Hey, you said it. Um <laughs> Oh, let's move Sorry, on. I, I got in the way of what Ash was saying. I apologize. It's fine. It's fine. Did, you're just you're just proving the point that I made on Dan's show, and you've said it. Weird. Half the time, the best content is just us ripping into each other and long way to I was saying, yeah, could, but but on that Laporta thing, can we just say that Nelson was fucking awful on that? Nelson's played yes. himself out of this team on that first drive, and I know Matt, you talk about offensive backup, offensive line backups. The level is not very high, which might be true. But we can all agree that he's below that line. He is not on that shitty line. He is below that that line. And he is not good for this team no more. And that proved it. If you can't do that against the Giants' backups, and you get bodied two times like that and put your quarterback at risk, you can't be on an NFL roster. It does seem like his route to the 53 went from almost certain to seriously in question in this game. For sure. Yeah. Especially considering the third team left tackle came in and had a very, very good game. We'll mention him a little bit later. Uh, obviously, yes. he's going up against a third stringers himself, but there we go. Lions then put themselves together for their second or third big drive of the game with Nate Sudfeld. So the first one, 14 plays, 63 yards, ended in a field goal. And there are a few nice plays in here. Brock Wright for 10 yards. There was a, a short pass to Gibbs that he took for 18 on third and seven, which was a really big completion at the time. It felt like momentum was going to swing back to them if we were going to let that one go and the defense might buckle. But carried on the drive for quite a long time. Unfortunately, Cota couldn't complete uh, the, the catch when Sudfeld threw it on third and six at the 21 to keep the drive alive. But Patterson kicks it through. It was nice to see someone actually put together a blooming series after what happened before then. And then the Lions defense, after we go six to three, 
put up their third consecutive super impressive drive. 13 plays, 69 yards for the Giants. So about five and a 5.3 yards per play, which is pretty good when you're trying to hold them back. And it finished off with a fourth and one play from the Lions 18 with Levi and Jalen Rizmabin and Jack Campbell cleaning up James Robinson for a tackle for a loss in our own red zone. That was a an absolutely cracking play, boys. And Levi's not back, shall we say, but he's he's showing something. A hundred percent. Yeah, he is. And it's people have got to stop doubting him and they've got to start backing him. Because ever since he came back at spring training, there's always been a group of people. He gets the spring training. It's just spring training. I want to see him do it in the summer. He gets to summer and he trains all summer. Well, I want to see him do it in camp. He gets to camp. He does it in camp. He's taking big hits. The back's holding up. He's playing well by all accounts. Oh, well, he's got to do it in the preseason games. He does it in the preseason games. Oh, well, that's it's like, when is it going to be good enough for you to back him again. Let's not forget, Levi has done absolutely nothing wrong on the field. This is not like he had an awful first two years and he's trying to win back into the good graces of people. I mean, the rookie year was was not, like, amazing, but he's been playing hurt and he's been out for a very long time. And it takes time to get back to your best. And he's been doing it. For months and months and months now, he's been making all the improvements you could ask for a guy who's been out this injured. And then you see him come into this game, and it, it's it's quite obvious. I think why the defense played a lot harder in this one for a lot of them. This is this is last chance saloon for some of them. We've said with Levi, they've set the clock on him. He has to have a 53-man roster or we've got to put him through waivers and we might lose him. And if they thought that was a possibility that they didn't want to live with. They'd have left him on the, you know, they'd have left him on pulp or something like that and let him carry on recovering. So he's got to earn his spot. Julian's got to earn his spot. And he played like a man on fire. And and all these guys, especially on the D-line, where the depth is now suddenly deep. Now that you add Levi back into that room, you've got Aleem, Broderick, Bugs, Benito, Covington. I mean, Covington's probably gone now from where he was. I think he's I think he's done and dusted, but this, you know, one of those guys might not make it, and they realize it. And Levi, you saw the way he was collapsing the pocket, the way he was disrupting in there. That's why we drafted him, and we've not had a player like him in his tenure. It's why we've missed him so much. We have plenty of good stuff at DT and good players, but we don't have the guy who can collapse the pocket, who can create those gaps for the linebackers to really go in and do damage and to come in and help finish off runners. And and you just saw that day on Friday, you just saw that little glimpse of what he's capable of and what he can do. And all this, like the Campbell meme, it's just a steady ascent upwards. It's not, he's not going to go whoosh to elite status. It's going to be slow. It's going to be steady. But every single time he's been tested since spring, he's answered the call. And I love it. And people now need to start getting behind him because, you know, it benefits this team for him to be healthy and playing and on the 53. And rooting against him is just pointless because he's not done anything to deserve that apart from being injured, which players cannot help. So I loved seeing him in this. And you could that's what makes your D-line so good. When you've got an interior disruptor and you're bringing so much pressure off the edge, an offensive line cannot deal with it. And their offensive line couldn't deal with squat on Friday. 
So you're telling me, Ant, that players can't help being second-round picks for us and falling victim to the curse. Of course, I'm. Of course, I'm. Hang on, who's who's this? Who's this referencing? Oh no, just the fact that there's the famous second-round curse. Whoever we pick in the second round oh, gets yeah. injured. Oh yeah, yeah, Swift, yeah, 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 yeah. Levi, Carry on Johnson, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's me, Joe. Like, yeah, no, but this, <laughs> but this, I have been harping on all off-season about how we need to add another player at free tech who can be that interior disruptor. It's seemingly me putting that out there into the universe has made Levon come on and he could be that. I know it might be overreacting to one preseason game, but we, as you said, we saw those flashes of the player that was there before the COVID year at Washington. Great from the, it was just, oh, to go back to PFF. Second highest rated player on the team with an 89.3 grade. Over 70 in all three of run defense, tackling and passion. That's what we need from the defensive line. Someone behind Aleem, because Aleem's obviously going to start the free tick, but someone just behind him who offers a bit more of that interior pass rush where you can move Aleem to the one tech, put Levi out there at the free tech on obvious passing downs. And even if they run a draw like we did at one point in the near, in the red zone, He's able to defeat that now. We've seen that the run defense, seemingly they've really worked on that over the past two years. Well, he's been injured. He's been sitting there, probably studying Galeem, studying other players and seeing how they use their bodies and use their skills to get to the running back and that. And he's learned because that was his big, I remember that was the big knock on him, I think, coming out of Washington over the fact he sat at the COVID years, he was a year removed from playing, was that he was all there for the pass rush, but the run defense needed some work. Well, we saw that with that tackle for us to end the end the drive. This is if he if he can carry on, and I hate I hate well I hate being wrong. We all know this, but I'm happy to be proven wrong. In the space of seven days, I've gone from saying on Dan's Twitch that Levi might be over Raj. I don't fully believe it, as we said last week with Glenn's comments about the back injury. It's done great for someone coming off that, but is he fully there? Well, now we can see that actually he is fully there, and I'm so happy to be proven wrong. And to have that interior disruptor that I've been harping on about, because that means I have to go and find another small time. At this point, the holes that I'm looking for to see improvements from are so tiny that it's probably not even worth it. I should just sit here and enjoy the team for what it is, because it's very well-rounded, despite what other people say who have us as the 20th best roster in the NFL and all this. If this is the 20th best roster in the NFL, yeah, you can probably show me seven, seven eight rosters. I can say, I say, yeah, okay, they're better. But the gap between that ninth and 20th must be so small then. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the thing with Levi is that I think that if we do end up keeping him on the roster, and I still think the chances are slim, but they're growing, is that he'll be walking into a really advantageous situation because the guy is... I I think the thing coming out of college is he was playing nose and really he's a three to five tech, right? Yeah. Like he's just that sort of frame that makes him the sort of pass rushing DT at the three, or he can do some work as a sort of base end in a, Ash, you'll have to help me out, an uh, a four, three under. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he could do some of that work, but he has developed his skills in terms of his technique. He definitely, definitely has. When you were coming into this camp, it's like, okay, well, can he just even practice? Because if he can't practice, we might as well cut the cord now. Okay, he can practice. Can he actually play some reps? Yes, he can. Can he come in and play in some games and actually social something? Well, yes, he can. And if he does, 
if we keep four DTs, and I'm not convinced that we do, but if we do keep four DTs and it's a straight choice between him, Benito and Covington, he's very much in that battle. And at that sort of three technique position where Benito isn't, where there is no obvious backup for the three tech position other than kicking someone from outside in, I might even say it's advantage him at the moment. If he can stay healthy through the remainder of camp and play some more significant reps, I mean, he's not the starter. He's going to rotate in when Aline needs a rest. That means he's going to get plenty of rest on the sideline, come and give his best, and then rehab his back on the off plays. Like, that's a perfect situation for him. And then if he can stay healthy the whole season, God knows what happens in year four, but right now he's gone from... I mean, I had written him off, like 0% chance of making the roster. I really genuinely thought he was done, and I'm, I'm so pleased for him that, that there's a chance now. And I was uh, reminded that in the play before that, Broderick Martin opened up the hole for Jack Campbell to clean up on the play before for a one-yard game. So, you know, that that series all around, when it really mattered, we came up chance for three defensive plays in a row. Uh, we also forced a punt on the, the next offensive possession for the Giants. They only went seven plays for 32 yards. And, you know, the Lions are absolutely laughing at this point. Uh, but and then, of course, Sudfeld comes in and throws another interception, boys. And this one, less on Matt Nelson, although Sudfeld did feel pressure. But he tried to force one to J-Mo up the middle into, I mean, it was it triple coverage? It was it looked, triple, yeah. It looked pretty bad. And... Campbell came out and said that one's on both of them a little bit. And while I think J-Mo maybe could have made it a bit easier for him, it, it doesn't help when it's a complete air ball, does it, boys? 100%. And, and you can probably speak on to this guy more than I can. I just remember you guys speaking about him and came out. But that's what... So the guy intercepted it was Dane Belton, the former Iowa safety. Like, it was um, immediately was an air ball. Both Sudfeld and J-Mo could have done better. But it was a really good play by him as well, like to sort of read the ball coming through the air and get himself in a position where he was sort of in position to take it before Jamo could get to it. Really good play from the Giants defender. So, yeah, obviously most of the blame needs to have gone to Feld for just airing that ball into what was the turkey hole of their defence. But at the same time, great play from Dane Belton. Yeah, they had some very talented secondary guys in this obviously Deontay Banks was playing loads of people in Lions Nation were high on him going into the draft Belton comes from a system where they they thrive off ball hawking you know the Iowa secondary turned the ball over so many times to deal with that shitty offense that they have there Um, and you know you can't afford to be lazy because you can't you can't test them in triple coverage you know it, you've got to do well in one-on-one against them, but when you're putting it into an area where you've got multiple playmakers ready to spring, it's just like, they're going to eat you alive doing that. And that is, an, I know Sudfeld's experience, but it's an inexperienced quarterback as like actually playing, making a silly choice when, you know, making a risky choice and, and putting things at risk. And it just, it just wasn't good. And it, for him, it, it's kind of death, throws like that the death knell. If you can't do stuff like that, if you're making, you can choose not to make that throw. Like the commentators clearly said with the first interception right at the start, he had a dump off to his running back, you know, a very easy pass outside. If you're not sure about going downfield, just take the easy option, get a few yards, that's smart play. 
live to fight another day. Don't just lob it down there and hope. And it's it's that decision making like that where you're like, yeah, yeah, guys just not got it. And and unfortunately, that's kind of how you felt as this thing went through. And and then when you get you see a guy like Adrian Martinez come in, I know we're not at that point yet, but then he's making sensible decisions for the most part. And he's a rookie who's, you know, might not get much of a chance here. And you see him making the right decisions, when to scramble, when to not, when to throw the ball away. And it's like, I kind of expect that from the guy that you're kind of pinning your hopes on if Goff goes down injured or if he wants a roster spot where he wants some action. They're just stuff you can't do. So, yeah, very ill-advised against that secondary. He should not have done it. And it's 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 the death knell for him, I think. If not for quarterback three, certainly for Teddy, there's going to be no competition with Teddy now. He's just going to be holding a clipboard all year. Following that interception, there was a one-play, 14-yard pass for a touchdown to Sweeney from the wide receiver quarterback, uh, DeVito. I can't remember who that was caught over. Part I'll tell you, Reeves made them. Thank you very much. It was much. a complete utter mismatch yeah. in height. It was. Jalen actually had good coverage on it and got his hands up at the catch point in the perfect position, but it was just a good throw and a good catch. So the Lions go down 33 at that point. And the Lions put together a 10-play, 71-yard drive. So the second reasonable drive from Nate Sudfeld here. And there were several good plays in it, notably Kabinda made his one catch for the season for nine yards to complete on third and one. Surprised they went play action on third and one, but they seemed very willing to do it. JMO got one of his catches for 11 yards to get into the red zone, but the Lions tried it on fourth and four from the four. And I have to think, boys, if it was in a real game, they might have actually kicked the field goal there on fourth and four. But to replicate a sort of must-have-it goal line situation when the result doesn't matter, I I see the value in it. And Sudfeld tried to throw a touch, but kind of looped it a bit towards Dylan Drummond. And Drummond's kind of had the separation, about a yard, maybe a yard and a half, but he couldn't put it out in front of him instead of having to turn back for it and had it broken up by Flot, which was a real shame, boys, to go into the end of the half, 13-3 to three down. It felt like with the two long drives that we had and the good defensive play that we should have gone on at least level, really. So, yeah, I completely agree. We all remember that play at the sort of Drummond play that should have been a touchdown. I remember as well that maybe if we had if we had a timeout, I might have considered throwing the challenge flag because obviously I remember at the time... It was a pass interference. It was clear pass interference, that on Drummond. But there we go. If we had a timeout, because obviously I think that's what stopped us because we didn't have the timeout to sort of lose if we lost the challenge, even though we wouldn't have... I would have thrown the flag, but also the first play, of the first play of the drive, because I remember saying about it, James Mitchell starting in the slot, going across the back of the formation, a sort of flat, and then taking the ball 32 yards, 30, 32 yards. Absolutely exquisite play. So to quote Ken from the Bar movie, sublime. That's what me and Ant were going on about last year. Just... The guy, um, Virginia Tech showed the receiving chops, showed the blocking chops, and God, in this game, did James Mitchell come out and show what we talk about. The blocking has got a lot better. Receiving still there. Remember, he didn't drop a pass last last year. If that can carry on, then we we wasted a couple of weeks discussing, oh, yeah, between him and Zayn Shosha, because he was going to run away with the job anyway. Like, 
obviously hope Silsha comes back healthy from the, the leg injury, but this is so good to see from Mitchell. Thanks, Ash. I've got the I'm just Ken song stuck in my head now again. <laughs> Appreciate that. You are. That, I've just gotten rid of it. So <laughs> gonna have that. I'm gonna, gonna 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 have that one to deal with now for the rest of the show. Um You are Kenuff, Ant. You are Kenuff. <laughs> Oh, you know what? Nate Sudfeld's number 10, isn't he? I'll probably make a joke out of that now. I'll probably readjust those lyrics for Nate Sudfeld. That'd be, that'd be quite yes. fun, actually. We'll, we'll do it. But, um, yeah, no, I the, the offence just didn't look right in the first half. It, it, it was quite obvious. There were just a lot of guys in there and who were who were new, who have not had a lot of snaps, who were adjusting to it. And that's fine in the first half of a preseason game. You, you're going to have... You know, issues, continuity issues, you're going to have issues of trust, working together. And, you know, you hope you see it better in the second half. And and we did, thankfully. Um, it was much better afterwards. And and, that, and that's what you want to see. We just go in, get better, come back out again. But, oh, yeah, J-Mo's, as in J-Mitch, J-Mitch is going to be good this year. People just, it's odd. Some players just get forgotten about for some reason. And it's like J-Mitch has, again, not done anything to deserve suspicion as to what he does. Um, he was injured last year. He didn't get much of camp. And then he sort of had to come into the season. And because Brock Wright's done so well and everybody's, you know, sort of chipped in, Zilstra's chipped in, everyone goes, oh, well, Jay, Jay Mitch is a bust now. It's like, for God's sake, he's been injured. Just give him chance to come in and do his stuff. And and again, you've sort of seen in glimpses of this now, you've seen the catchability in there. Thought he blocked pretty well as well when he was asked to. It was like you're beginning to see the play. You're beginning to see the benefits of a full camp. Like Levi's had a full camp. Thankfully not injured. You're seeing the benefit. It, it honestly does make a big difference to some of these guys. And I expect Jay Mitch to carry on doing some, doing some good stuff in the preseason. And, and a lot of guys started to stand up after the half. We'll talk about him in a minute, but yeah, it, I wasn't, I wasn't, say I wasn't disappointed, but I'm not surprised we went in behind, but the fact that we were so little behind, did not surprise me either because the defense just kind of played their ass off and did really well. Apart from that one little spell where Devito started slicing us to start with, but that soon got cut out. So I, I didn't actually have that many complaints at half time, uh, given the situation of things and that. So we went in 13 3 behind at the half, and the Giants have the ball to start the second half as well. They go in and go three and out. They actually had a, a sack on Julian, oh, for Julian Quara on the quarterback, losing eight on third and nine. So they're in pump formation at their own 33. And then there's a delay of game setting them back even further. So they go back to the 28. And from the 28, Gillian punts, the Scottish Hammer punts 67 yards, but that's net 67. He punted from his own 10. So he punted it. 85 yards all the way to the Lions five. And Maurice Alexander, after a couple of pirouettes and a couple of spin moves, <laughs> ends up with a few a few blocks here and there, running it all the way back for a 95-yard touchdown. The Lions also went for a two-point conversion attempt to uh to Jameson Williams, and it looked very much like that previous play to Dylan Drummond's that he underdid. And although Jameson didn't have the separation that Drummond did. He managed to haul it in one-handed, which was a really lovely play. So in the blink of an eye, having not had the ball and 10 points down, the Lions suddenly get eight and they're within two, boys. The 
punt return itself was a fantastic play. And we actually have a question from Lady Lion 20 saying, is Alexander in the, you know, in there for the 53 potentially now after that play? Of course he is. I mean, what you need now, I think I discussed this when I came on on the end of the show the other day, but he needs to be given reps as a receiver now. He needs to be given targets to show that he can do it in the receiving game because that's what you want. Obviously, you want him to do the returning and that. That's his way on the roster. But, you know, you also want to see that he can offer you something as a wide receiver, five, six or seven, because those spots are still wide open for us at the minute. And, you know, he <laughs> the way he's hung around since last year, the way he's persevered, the team have kept him around, you know, they... These guys, you know, our coaches see things in people and they give them a good opportunity to come here and do it. And I swear I remember saying this when he first came last year, but give him more targets and give him more of an opportunity to show what he can do. So week two, that's one of the big things I'm looking for. Give Maurice some targets and let him do some stuff in the receiving game. But in terms of the game itself, sometimes it just takes one play to kind of unlock things. And that just felt like the spark they needed. It seemed to give the offense there, you know, a little extra skipping the step because then like I said the very next play Jameson takes a one-hander over his shoulder which was a beautiful catch by the way and was absolutely not reported on by all those troll accounts that love to knock Jamo down because they're you know biased pricks who wouldn't know how to neutrally report stuff in their life it just makes them better to slag off Jamo. but you know after those two plays you're like there's a big step in this team now. It's just given the team a bit of life. And that's that's all it takes sometimes. Just takes a little bit and the team responded. But Maurice, it was fantastic. It was great. It was Yeah. So I mean, for me, in terms of Maurice, love the the return itself. I'll come to Ash in a second. I do think that his route to the 53 is one of the hardest on the team because. I don't think he provides enough on offense that he would have to be a Jamal um, Agnew kind of level returner on a consistent basis to even make it potentially there. Like, I'm not willing to crown him as that sort of level of returner yet. He's clearly got that sort of quick twitch energy you need and the instincts of that position. But... There's quite a few guys vying for returner spots who provide more on offense or defense. So the route is definitely harder for him for me, but it was a fantastic play. And he's definitely put himself in the shop window. He, 100% I mean, he can't he can't prove himself till he gets targets. It's it's kind of hard to, to show what you can do when you're not given a chance to. See, I come halfway between you guys because remember, this is a punt return and we already have a guy there. So if he's going to make it for special teams, he's either going to have to beat out Khalif for punt returns, which is very unlikely, or he's going to have to do, which was, I was quickly looking up, he has to win this kick turn, a job that's come open since Justin Jackson's gone. So obviously last year he returned six kicks for 24.3 yards per kick. Not that bad. Earned himself a... uh, 56.5 kickoff return grade by PFF, but PFF graded special teams. Oh, they're rubbish on special teams. Don't don't bother. That that would have Kate that 24.3 out of everyone that qualified on pro football reference in terms of number done would have come in sixth 
above like Jerome Ford, Marcus Jones, Bex, but all these. So he definitely could do it to kick return, but he has to win that kick return job. And then, as Ant says, in the training camp and then hopefully in preseason game two and three, show enough to beat off, beat out Dylan Drummond, Chase Coter, who will hopefully come on to later as one sort of winners to this game, beat them in terms of showing offense and also win that kick. Because otherwise, unfortunately, he's going to be practice squad again as and then we do the whole elevations thing and use him for kick return and as soon as those are done either there's an injury to someone else who can elevate like elevate him properly or he's on his way to another team and we have to bring in someone else unfortunately if he doesn't win outright like that that's probably his it's similar to last year practice squadder elevated for certain games for his return abilities when we need it other than that sits there unfortunately yeah, I'm with you. And I mean, so I haven't gone back and watched all three of his targets. So I don't know how many of them were catchable. And I'll come on to JMO on this point as well. They caught one of three for seven. So it looked like he didn't have any opportunities whatsoever. But JMO went two for seven. Well, two of his were definitely uncatchable. And I feel like it might have been four, but I need to go back and watch. Two of seven for 18 for JMO sounds bad. The two-point conversion isn't in there. And if half of the targets are uncatchable, it's not on the wide receiver. So you've got to take the targets with a pinch of salt. But Maurice getting three targets is not having no chance whatsoever, I would argue. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was trying to see if, uh, because I know Pro Football Reference reference has a sort of on-target percentage, but it's not out yet for the game. So I was Mm. going to see if I could try and find it out. But... Yeah, you raise valid points about were the targets good enough kind of thing. Yeah, and the defense continues to dominate going into the rest of the game. So the Giants went three and out. They go three and out again, and the uh, Scottish Hammer just, you know, decides that he's absolutely lost his stones, and he decides to kick the ball out of bounds to avoid Maurice Alexander. So you can tell that he's impacting the game already, sacrificing a bit of distance on the kick to make sure you avoid a return altogether. And the Lions go down the field two down and get the field goal to go one point in front. Another good drive. Um, Ozigbo got a good number of reps on this one now coming in as the running back after, unfortunately, Mo Ibrahim did pick up an injury earlier on in the game. Uh, there was Chase Cota starting to come alive with catches in this drive of 12 and 8 yards. Uh, there was then, unfortunately, a, a delay of game penalty on fourth down when it looked like they were going to run something they couldn't get it off in time. And... Uh, Romo came into the game, Romo Cop, as as Ant would like to call him. It's not going to stick. Um, and the Lions take their their first lead of the game, going in 14-13. And the Lions just continue to do their thing on defense, forcing another two punts in the next two possessions. So the first four possessions, boys, in the second half of the game went for the Giants. Punt, 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 punt. And then ended field goal interception. I mean, it was it was a clinic by this defense overall. And why am I getting picked on today? I, I feel like you've been cruel towards me today, and I don't feel like I've done anything to justify that. You know, my Romo Cop nickname is just is just good. You know, it will kick on eventually, because everyone thinks Romo's not going to get the job. When he's a starting kicker, it will pick up. But it's just a bit mean, that is. But yeah, the defence, amazing. Like you said, it's just the Giants... They they reacted and they adapted to everything. I said just before halftime, DeVito was making a few throws. And I'm like, I kind of don't like being diced up by DeVito because he's a really bad quarterback. 
he's not great at all. And and they made adjustments. And, you know, second half, he were running for his life. The D-line was just getting so much pressure. The coverage was better. Um, they figured him out. And you know, we've not seen a lot of that over the years. And yes, it's just preseason, but you can only do with what's put in front of you. So, you know, defense just was great. And the offense just came to life. You know, everybody was fighting. You, you see it all over. I mean, I was like really impressed with Cota because everyone's talking about Drummond in camp. No one's really been talking about Chase Cota, but sometimes some guys do it in training. Sometimes some guys will do it on the field for you. Kind of like Tom Kennedy's been doing. He did it in last preseason. You know, he did his talking there, not in training. And Cota just seems to have come to life. And it's intriguing with him because, you know, we lack big-bodied guys who can play on the perimeter. And, it, you know, his route into the team is simpler in terms of, you know, the makeup of the receiver core, what we could do with. And if he can carry on, you know, doing what he Because he seemed to have a good rapport with Sudfeld. You know, the separation seemed to be pretty good. The quarterback trusted him. I know I think he had like one drop in there somewhere, but, you know, I'm pretty sure it was his first one he got handed to him. So rookie jitters, you can forgive that. But overall, he just kept making plays. And there were a few screen passes I saw him making some lovely blocks on as well. He was he was really just getting down and stuck in there. And it's just like, that's how fierce this competition is. You know, it's how fierce it's making players play for. Like everybody it felt in that second half was like nobody's safe and they're all fighting for their futures. You know, and that's what you want to see. So both sides of the ball were very impressive. Yeah. Let me just finish off the rest of this game and then we can talk about it generally. So the Giants eventually do go and get some more points on the field, on the, on the board, getting another field goal. Um, so one touchdown and, and four field goals, no, three field goals. For the Giants, um, they it was only a six-play, thirty-nine-yard drive. There was a, a couple of penalties in there as well. Uh, you know, again, always money. But then the Lions, with time starting to run down, only eight minutes left when we had the ball. And Adrian Martinez with a, a stonking drive to finish it off, lads. I mean, Snell got it started with a bit of a good run, but Martinez to Cota for sixteen, then to Trey Quinn for eight. Got sacked, but Baldonado got done for roughing the pass, and maybe we were a bit fortunate with that one. He did hit him in the head, but it was a little soft. It wasn't like he got smacked in the head. It was like touch. Can't touch the helmet. Can't touch the helmet, indeed. And then Martinez kind of made the scramble on third and seven, four seven to to get it up to the Giants four, and then a, a rush by him to sneak into the end zone for a touchdown. And finally, the Giants of time expiring, throw up a kind of just a jump ball in desperation with pressure in his face, and Brandon Joseph finishes it off. Um, you know, we didn't lead for very much in this game, but with eight minutes to go, that drive took six, six and a bit minutes off the clock, so it didn't leave the Giants' backups much time. All in all, a pretty solid game, and let's just talk generally now about the game, who's really improved their stock, and, you know, who, who has left with something to do. I mean... One of our viewers has kind of said a couple of things as well to put things into context. So Mike the Marines saying, are too many people overthinking the play of our twos on defense against the Giants' twos on offense? I was saying this was more about rookie experience and a few missed assignments for veterans. And Brent DeWitt as well was saying, 
What do you think about the quarterbacks, you know, for Sudfeld? Is it just that maybe Teddy being on the sidelines added pressure to him and Martinez showed that the moment wasn't too big for him, but maybe Sudfeld had a bit of stage fright? Kind of mix all those things into your thoughts generally about the game. So Ant already spoke about one of my guys who really impressed me being Chase Cota, as we referred to earlier. As I said, remember when we signed him just as we were finishing our day three sort of draft coverage when all the UDFAs signed to come out. I remember we signed him. It was like, uh, coming out of uh, Oregon, has some connections to the staff, has the prototype X sort of style, worth a look. Didn't really hear that much about him in all the camp reports. And then completely balls out. I do disagree a bit with Ante of that saying he really outshined Drummond. Drummond did really well in the first half as well. I don't say four outshined times. Drummond. It's, it's well, fair, well, fair enough. I, I thought it sounded like to me. I love Drummond. Yeah, Drummond is one of my guys. It's my guy in this prison. He's my TK TK two point I look, but I do like Kota as well. But I think he actually has a slightly harder way to the roster. It's the same way that Marvin might have a hard way as a veteran because Goff doesn't really like those contested form guys as much as I want one. I want a basketball style of squad of receivers where each has different skill sets and you really play matchups with them. Goff really doesn't like throwing contested balls unless he 100% trusts that guy. So unless Cota in the next two, three weeks gets to play with Goff, really has that connection with him where Goff can trust him to go for the 50-50 balls. I think Drummond, who's more of the sort of route running, get open kind of receiver that Goff likes better, I think he has a better chance to the roster. But Cota's definitely put his name down for the fight for that wide receiver 5-6 role now. So I'm intrigued to watch how that goes. Another one, and I mentioned him earlier, and I wasn't surprised, but it's nice to see him finally breaking out. James Mitchell did really good blocking-wise, did great in the receiving game, and hopefully can build on it next couple of weeks. See, when it comes to the quarterbacks, for me, Sudfeld should be done. He no longer has this safety net of, oh, he's the clipboard guy who's experienced and gives you something to the roster. Sorry, we've got Teddy now. So as far as I'm concerned, you lose that safety net and you have to prove something to this team. You have to prove you can actually be worthy of something on this team that gives you quarterback three. And as I've already alluded to with Martinez, when Martinez was on the field, he made smart, calculated decisions. And even when you know he got sacked, even when he made a bad throw, he shook it off. He made correct decisions, sensible things. You know, that's what you want to see you do. And if Sudfeld got stage right, well, sorry, Sudfeld, screw you because you're going to be playing at Detroit Lions all season in an atmosphere like that if you're called on in a game condition. And if you can't deal with that, then I'm sorry, but you've got to go. You're done. What do I want from a quarterback three? I want him to give me something different. I want him to give me something that, you know, if he is required upon, if he has to suit up, I can use with it. Martinez, you know, he's not the greatest passer in the world, and he never will be, but he possesses a good dual threat on the field. He can make the throws. He gives you a different dimension to what Goff and Teddy offer, and you want to have as much diversity in your QB ranks as possible. I mean, if for anything... You can use him on your scout teams. You can use him to help prepare you against those mobile guys. That is a big offering to this team. Nate Sutfeld offers nothing to this team now that Teddy is here, unless Teddy is injured. So that safety net he's been hiding behind is gone. So as far as I'm concerned, and I know Dan's already said Martinez is going to get less reps and Sutfeld will carry on there, but 
I think Dan will change his mind. I think he's just saying that to be nice, and I think he's gone. I mean, in terms outside of that, so the running back room, you know, I'd like to see the new guy given a little bit more in there. He's 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 gonna have his chance now. Mo injured sucks balls because I'm just so disappointed for him of all he's had to go through in college to still get a chance here and then to get this niggle now, which might keep him out for preseason because you really needed three good games in preseason to go, yeah, he's going to be my running back three. If he's lost those now, that's just heartbreaking for him. Hopefully you could get him on the practice squad and keep him in that view. Same with Jamar. I love Jamar, but this injury has just hit him at the worst time possible because he needed game reps and he needs game time. He's not getting it. Craig's not getting it. So, you know, that spot is just so wide open now for somebody to come in and take that spot. So running, you know, running back for me has gone from strength in the depth there. And it's just like, it's now a problem running back three years because we need someone to come in and fill that spot up. Um, and they're all injured. Nah, we got Craig. So, hey, this Seek's still a free agent. Yeah. But, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, go away. You said Zeke's still out there. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Obviously we joke, exactly. Well, I'm joking. But, but to I build mean... off to build off what you just said, and it's come out obviously since we've been a podcast, but practice has been over. Two quarterbacks have been taking extra work after the practice with receivers. Teddy's one of them, but Sudfeld's not the other. It's Adrian Martinez. The team is yeah. getting work with J Mo, Drummond, Zigbo, and Avery Davis, who just re-signed. Yeah. Sudfeld's not to be seen. Is He's, he's gone. Sudden, he's gone. Unfortunately, his it's... his uh, yeah. His only safety net was that vet clipboard holder option. But we've now actually got a guy who can play football as the vet. Yeah. So he's done for now. I'd rather keep the rookie who has an element of surprise about him um, as my QB three because that's what your QB three should be. Just gives you a little something different. Dip into your bag of tricks if you need to, and can still offer something in the team there otherwise. But yeah. But Craig's not playing. Craig didn't play on injured. Friday. And that's what I mean. He's injured. So for me, if Craig doesn't play that much in this preseason or not at all, I'm not giving him running back three just off that. I, I kind of want someone who's ready to go, who's gonna who's gonna come in and do it. And hell, if it's gonna be a Zigbo or it's gonna be Benny Snell, and they're gonna come in and they perform well, because let's face it. In an ideal world, we don't really need a running back three to rush the ball when we've got Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery on there. So I want a guy who can come in fit and healthy, ready to go if need be. I'm going to carry someone who's not played. So receiver core is really interesting. Like I said, there are guys on the periphery fighting for that. It's going to be interesting. But you can you can tell that the competition is intense there. And Cota and Drummond are doing everything they can to get on this roster. So that that's the most you can expect for them, which is yeah. great. The offensive line depth is fucking alarming. It's this, sorry, go on, Ash. I was gonna say when you say about the offensive line, because it just popped into my head and we did kind of mention him a tiny bit at the top, but it just popped into my head another UDFA. Connor Galvin. So he's the guy who missed came in third third string left tackle. Yeah. But this is a guy six six, seven, three hundred pound out of Baylor, UDFA resigned him. 72.4 PFF grade with an 82.2 pass blocking grade. At the end of the day, when you talk about backup offensive linemen, and we have seen the fruits of this, generally speaking, when you get down at that level, 
your physical prowess of the defensive linemen who they're in the NFL, they may not be as refined with their hands, but their physicality at that level give the backup offensive linemen more trouble than as far further up you go up. So the backup offensive linemen have it much harder. You saw that with our defense against their offensive line. So Galvin coming in against the third string, it's like, okay, but that's probably some of the best opposition he's ever faced, apart from in practices that he's been doing with the Lions and against the Giants. So to him to come in here and have that grade, it's worth more than the value of that grade. It's proving he can do it at this level against defenders who are potentially better than anyone's ever faced before. So I think I think yeah. every single depth spot on the offensive line is open right now. I mean, there's not. I mean, obviously, apart from the rookies, um, but every other spot that's physically available is available. There's no one who's nailing it down. Um, you know, we we said this. We do need to build more for the rookies. You can't find good backups in this league. Really, your best bet is hitting on rookies in the draft behind established stars or giving the reps to Sawstall doing that. And to be honest, I didn't hear Sawstall's name much. I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing. I'm, 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 I'm thinking it's more a good thing yeah, that I didn't the, hear anything. So the only, the only time I remember Sawstall being mentioned, it was me and Matt mentioned it, was the Pierce Baker injury. Yeah. He, he was involved, like kind of involved in that, obviously, because he was right next door to him as the right guard. But other than that, Completely not mentioned, it was that left-hand side of the line yeah. with Nelson and Paolo, Paolo. who were getting most of the, fo- the focus. Well, oh, yeah, and they're just, you know, neither of them should be anywhere near this. But you know what? I give it a lot. I think Millet's going to have a good chance eventually. We've only just signed yeah. him, but the dude is not long out of college. He's played a ton on a team that produces good quality linemen. I know he's not settled so far, but if you wanted to take a thing on a younger guy who's positionally versatile and you can bring in. And we've got a probably better offensive line coach than most teams in the league. There's only a few that could probably boast someone as good as Hank. I think he's going to have every chance to come in. I'm actually looking forward to seeing him, especially now with Pierce Parker injured. So, but I still, I'm desperate for us to carry on recruiting as many people from outside as possible and just keep going until we land on somebody. Because for me, it's not set. Opposite on the other side of the D-line, it's, it's who the hell do you get rid of? Um, yeah. That's going to be really bad when it comes to cut time, and I'm not looking forward to it at all, but, you know, they're all working their ass off fine without the linebackers. I love everybody is working their ass off on there. Rodrigo played well, Barnes played well, Campbell played well. You know, I think they're going to be such a good unit of four, them guys are. I think they just all bring something different. They're playing great. And then the secondary... Secondary looked good, really did. And, you know, these sort of depth guys fighting it out again, competition's high, safeties did well, branch did well. You know, came out of this, like, there were very few things that were really concerning me. It was mainly the O-line depth and and Sudfeld that I was a bit met by, but everyone else, very, very pleased. Just to highlight the backup positions on the offensive line, because you mentioned it earlier, I thought Fetty looked good in a second-team offensive line that crumbled. On an island, I thought he looked pretty good. Not on an island. Him and Salzdahl, I thought, looked relatively untroubled on that right-hand side. I thought Arashika had a really good game at left guard, while people around him were crumbling. Matt Nelson. Uh, I thought Arashika had a really good game. And so with Pierce Baker going down injured, that's a shame. But you know what? Between Sawsdall and Glasgow, 
with Glasgow having backup centre as well. I really think that between Afedi, Sawstall, um, you know, then centres Glasgow, left guard is our Sheikha. I really think that maybe the hole is left tackle. But what if Conor Galvin actually can be serviceable there? I really thought he might kick into guard, but he did well enough at tackle where I can think, you know what? And I'm with you. I think we should still be looking for people because I'm not sold on almost any of them. We need to continue challenging them. But I think I've seen enough from this game and stuff that I've heard in practice is where I'm like, maybe, maybe what we saw was an isolated player here or there having really bad reps and one guy in particular. But actually, I thought the offensive line looked okay. I don't know. But moving on from that, a couple of guys that I want to highlight who had good games. Um, I thought that we had a few people kind of go out there and confirmed that they are who we thought they were. Branch is the obvious one with that really big hit, which was great. But Stephen Gilmore really backs up the hype that we've heard from practices where it's like, this guy has actually got something. And it's all well and good doing it in practice, but actually in Ford Field with, you know, 75% capacity field for a bloody preseason game. Well done the fans for getting out there and supporting the team because it was loud and I loved it. It's a different kettle of fish doing it out there in front of those fans. And he absolutely did that. Um, uh, Julian has to be mentioned. He's put himself back in the reckoning. I mean, I still think that he's edge slash outside linebacker seven, but he's very much in the reckoning that if he can, you know, become a bit more consistent in these next couple of weeks, he's in for a shout on the roll. Kaminsky had a fantastic 12 reps before he was yanked. Um, I mean, even Brandon Joseph popping up for that interception at the end, and he generally had a good game. You know, the people who needed to have a good game to stay relevant in these next couple of weeks have managed to stay relevant. A couple of people that I didn't really like, I mean, I mentioned Will Harris before, and, you know, and I'm not singling them out, it's more just he laughs at me for it, but Will Harris, I have been a defender of him for some time, I still don't think he's going to get cut, but I thought he had a relatively poor game. Started off with a flag, but also got beaten a couple of times. Had a couple of tackles too, but I didn't I didn't fancy what he did in that game. And the other one I was super disappointed by was Daniel Helm, the, the, ta- uh, the tight yeah. end. He came in and I think he gave away three penalties. I might be wrong. Maybe it was... Uh... He got, I, I wrecked, he got wrecked on a pass play by someone so as well in he, pass protection. Two, I can't remember who did it, but he got wrecked two on penalty, one. Two yeah, penalties. Two on... penalties and as Ant says, he got wrecked in pass protection. I was looking at him going, ooh, I don't know. What, the other guy I liked, and I know the train's going to run away with it, and we named the episode after him, was Benny Snell. I thought he looked like the best of the running backs that came in, in relief. I mean, the stats for both sides were really poor in rushing. Lions went 97 yards on 33 reps. That's less than three yards a carry. The Giants went 81 yards on 22 reps, so that's about 3.7. But the, the rep... The reps are slightly harmed because Sudfeld went one one carry for one yard and Martinez went five for 14. But Ibrahim was four for nine. That's 2.25 yards for carry. Jameer Gibbs was six for 19. That's just over three. And Ozigbo looks okay on one rep. 
but went for nine yards. The rest of his carries went 10 carries for 22 yards. I mean, I know the offensive line wasn't doing great, but Benny Snell came in and got six carries for 23 yards with a long of six. That means that the majority of his reps were going for between four and five yards a carry. That, or three, three to five yards a carry, that is the sort of consistency I'm looking for. And I hope that Snell gets a bit more of an opportunity in the next preseason game, to be honest. See, there was well, there was one running back who definitely impressed. And they ended with an average of 13.3, but it wasn't one of ours. It was my yeah. boy Corbin. If if he gets, I know, and this might come across as uh, Noel's bias, but he did look good as a sort of opposition guy. Obviously, I think he got target. Yeah, he had one target for about well, one catch for three, minus three yards on two targets. But when he got the chance, when he was able to hit the hole really for that 33 yard run, which I immediately I didn't see, I don't think it was in the fourth quarter. But he looked good. Like if we if we're still having this debate like week three, and then he gets cut by the Giants, I won't be surprised if we've had a look. It's what has happened, as we said today with Colette. We forget we pent up against him last year. Admittedly, he didn't do so well in the preseason game because they moved him from centre to right guard. But it's just someone we had a joint practice against last year, and it probably would have been in the back of Dan's mind. That, uh, Dan and Brad's mind. Oh yeah, here's someone. So. I remember when we, I was discussing this on Discord last week, oh yeah, who's guys that we might look at? And I was saying David Sills, Colin Johnson, um, the tackle who got absolutely killed by Houston and Julian. Wasn't in them. This might be the guy who we might come back at and have a look at of roster cutdowns. I mean, yeah. So, someone else who needs praise from this one as well. I want to give praise to Rodrigo. I mean, he played really well. And I take great umbrage with all these people who suddenly have this opinion that he's looking from the outside on this team. He is a valuable member of this team. And nobody on this roster, nobody on this roster has put in more work than him to establish himself from such a weak position coming in as a sixth round pick. It was basically no hoped and has just proven every single person wrong ever since we drafted him. Yes, he tailed off towards the end of last year. God, he's a sixth-round rookie who played well for three quarters of a season, got hurt, was playing through the pain, still performing pretty damn well for what he is, and he's getting doubted. And people are like, oh, well, he's you know he's, he's looking in. It's like, no, he's come into preseason game one. He's played, what was it? Two targets, minus three yards. One of them he broke up. The other was a tackle for loss. There were tackles in run defense. There was hustling. You know, he hustled the quarterback out on one play. He does special teams. Why he puts in the most amount of work in this team and people are just still doubting him is beyond me at this point. He is a great player and the epitome of what this team is. And he needs to stop being down. He is not number four in that linebacker room. All these guys, Campbell, Rodrigo, Barnes, they are all going to make it on their own right. There's no tiering system. There's what each guy brings to this team. And what it is, is a depth to a linebacker room we've just not had, like, ever. They're really good players. He's earned his right in there. So please, for the love of God, stop doubting him. Yeah. Fair. Right. I'm going to move it on now to the press conferences in the last seven days, which include the post-game presses. 
after the game against the Giants. I just want to take this opportunity to uh, say if you guys are enjoying the content, please forget, don't forget to show us some love with the super chats and the subscriptions and all that good stuff. Or just throw us a like and a and a rating and a review on your podcast provider. Be good enough for me. Right. Press conferences, August 8th. So going back six days now, we've got Dan Campbell in the building saying he's looking for competing in the joint practices. At a, oh, hey, hello. Why have I missed out completely talking about training camp in itself? I'll do press conferences in a second. Training camp, joint practices, day one, same day, August 8th. So on offense, no Jonah Jackson with injury or Frank Ragnow with family. Glasgow and Arashik and Paolo split reps to replace them. Uh, Brad Cecil, the backup center, came into the second team as Glasgow came up to the first. But he botched two handoffs to Sudfeld and he was pulled immediately, which is sad to hear. And Russell Brown beat Deontay Banks, the first round rookie. First round? Yep. Yes, first round rookie for a huge game on the very first play of the se- of the one-on-ones. And he won every rep seen by Jeremy Reisman. I should note that these are all taken from Pride of Detroit. Go and read the full review if you want. I am just summarizing these. It also said that Dylan Drummond had a really big day with some great routes and reaction catches, including having to go and get one from a couple of yards behind him. Gibbs scored two touchdowns in red zone drills and did well on 11-11s. Darren Paolo, unfortunately, in that first team split reps, along with Arashika, he gave up a sack to Dexter Williams in red zone drills. On defense, Barnes was repping more with the ones and Campbell dropped down to a bit more with the twos. Branch played with the ones, which shifted uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson back to safety and Walker repped entirely with the twos. Houston and... Uh, Julian Aquara split time with the twos. That's the first time that we've seen both of them elevated to that level. Both have mostly been reckoned with the threes or even later. Hutch dominated the practice as he always does with two sacks in there. And Kirby had three pass breakups in the one, one-on-ones as well as two quarterback run stops in red zone drills. But overall, the defense really struggled to cover tight ends, most notably Darren Waller into the second and final day of joint practices on the 9th of August. Injuries uh, or, or absences. So Ragnar still away with family. Jackson, Reynolds, Daniels and Benson still away with injury. Denzel Mims returned, but he left practice in this day after appearing to aggravate his injury. Today, I don't know whether there was anything on the press conferences today, but I don't think there's any been, been any word on how severe that injury is. Um, Jeremy has tweeted earlier that he wasn't fully in practice, but he was working for trainer afterwards. So it looks like he's close to coming back. Fair enough. Uh, So on offense, Gibbs, after having a huge day the day before, got extra attention from the Giants and kind of struggled to deal with that, especially in man coverage drills. Um, Monty Gibbs and Amon Rasant Brown all fumbled on the day, which was notable because it was a bit of a shift from otherwise... Uh, and Martinez also threw a pick. Monty, though, did have a nice blitz pickup in red zone drills, allowing Goff to complete for a touchdown to Amaras and Brown from the six. Gibbs also had a fourth down wheel route catch in double coverage, although apparently didn't get his feet down, but even snagging it generally was just an amazing catch. Uh, on defense, Lions struggled again versus Darren Waller, which is disappointing considering they also struggled against him on the previous day you know the Giants reacted to us struggling uh, them struggling with Gibbs but we still can't cover tight ends and it's nothing new really um 
Kirby apparently got a PBU again, and the Lions generally got two coverage sacks. Branch gave up a couple of touchdowns on the practice, but he got a PBU and a sack to hit back. Lucas also got a pass breakup with the twos. Sutton had a nice pass breakup against Darius Slayton, even though he's not uh, a speedy outside corner. He managed to carry Slayton 30 yards downfield and made a nice uh, play on the ball. Garden Johnson had a nice instinct against a bubble screen coming from 10 yards deep to make a tackle for a loss. Barnes made a great pass read, but dropped the interception, got a pass breakup instead. Malcolm Rodriguez got a PBU and got a big hit for a tackle, but gave up a touchdown. Campbell was quiet, but managed to carry Tyrod Taylor on a scramble in the red zone all the way out of bounds, which is super impressive and shows his range. Pascal Kaminsky and Martin all had sacks or near sacks on the day too. So overall, it seemed like wherever Jeremy happened to be watching practice, good things seemed to happen. And unfortunately, the opposite seemed to happen away from him. But there we go. Um, I'll go into the press conferences in just a second, but I've talked for long enough. Boys, joint practices seem to go well. Both sides of the ball seem to have a good day and then a, a recovery day. And to be quite frank, I think it's going to be somewhat worrying if you just absolutely dominate all the time. You want your squads to face adversity when it, it doesn't really matter and have kind of something to come back from and light a fire under their belly. So in a way, I was quietly kind of really pleased at the reporting I was hearing. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and you didn't even mention the best pit of the joint practices. Uh, a certain CJ Garner-Johnson's comments to Armani Aurorio after... Oh, that was rep. hilarious. I wasn't yeah. going to do it. Oh, no, you, well, of course, you know me and I'm going to bring it up if you weren't. So, well, so I you guys. I'm not going to do true. it. True. Well, we, we'll we take the hit. Oh, again. yeah, because you've got no history of being an instigator on here. <laughs> look, at him, look at him taking the high ground now. <laughs> oh, look at me. I don't oh, cause trouble on here. When, when <laughs> You can see the spoon in the back of his room that he uses to stir the fucking gumbo around <laughs> here all the time. So... It, <laughs> But, no, Ash is right. Um, It was was funny. Read the quote, Ash. So, well, there's two bits. So, Amani was covering, I think it was was Raymond on a rep, loses it. CJ Garner-Johnson seeing it says, you can't cover shit, and the reason you're not here is because you're soft and you lack grit. And, of course, Jerry and Kirby are there to back him up, being his boys. Was he wrong? In no. the game? Well, no, in the preseason game, Marley did okay. Didn't really see him, which is probably the best thing considering what he was last year. Like, you could easily spot him, just look where the refs were throwing their yellow dusters, and you'll usually find a Marley in the vicinity. But Am such I? a good moment. And it just shows why CJ's here, like, he's gone, Johnson's here. To come in already be that sort of lead in the sort of secondary, saying the stuff, have people backing him up, bringing that intensity in, as we've said before. The sort of like cheek that we haven't had since Slay, since GQ, so beautiful to hear. And then obviously, as I said, to say it to someone as well who was here last year was a bad thing. And now suddenly this second over looking a lot better. It's just glorious. Amani quit on this franchise. I know people will argue that, but he quit. He looked like he couldn't be bothered last year and it was a contract year. He had his best year and he did nothing. And I think it's about time... So many players have come to this team, done nothing and walked away and there's been no repercussion for it. And yeah, it's only a few words, but it's about time that someone on this team now says, look, 
You're part of that loser mentality past. We're going to a better place now while you are going to stay in the mediocrity where you belong. And I love CJ's regard to his. He doesn't take no prisoners. And you know, for a damn fact that every guy in that secondary, be it young or veteran, is, you know, they are they are accountable to him and his standards. He's the guy who's been to a Super Bowl. He's the guy who's the best at what he does in the NFL at his position. He's earned the right to be like that. And he needs to be that guy because sometimes you've got to hear harsh home truths. Even if it's players on this team he's saying it to, I don't mind because they'll respond to it because they have the mindset and the mentality to do so. So as far as CJ goes, I absolutely love it. But in terms of the practices itself, I just feel like the Giants are such a perfect fit for us and us for them in terms of the way we play. I mean, you think of Brian Dayball, the way he coaches football and, you know, he's into his trench warfare. He's all about being tough, about being great, but also having skilled playmakers. You know, they they really do suit us because you know you're going to get tested in the trenches. Like the backup offensive linemen were having nightmares, but that sorry, that's what you've got to do to them. You've got to you've got to put them under. You've got to give our first teamers trouble, and and vice versa on the D line. You know you you know you saw Hutch going up with Andrew Thomas and stuff like that's only good for him to go up against someone of that caliber, and that's where we're strongest. Having to go up against one of the best units you'll come up against is beneficial and you saw it all over the field like you said the corners the linebackers everybody's scrapping I mean Darren Waller it's it's an injustice to call him a tight end let's just call him what he is is a great player in the NFL I mean you've seen the start of this week whoever they're playing has been they've been causing nightmares they're saying he's having an all-time camp at the minute he's already a top three tight end in the NFL so he only cost the number 100 pick in the draft as well yeah that anyway. was because that was because he had substance abuse yeah. stuff coming yeah. out of college. Yeah. No, 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 no. I didn't mean that. I meant the trade from the from the oh, uh, yeah. Raiders. He, yeah. he, he oh. pissed the coach off, so he got traded for a late third round pick. It's a joke. Yeah. The Giants, the Giants went from Kendarius Tony straight to Darren Waller because it was the Tony pit they got from the Chiefs that they used to get Waller. Yeah, and it's stupidly good value, but like you, your team is going to be better after that in the week. And I think you saw it during the game, you know, all these guys desperate to go out there and prove a point. And I know it's against the seconds and that, but you want teams who are physically going to test you and, and make you better. And, and you know, that's what I liked about it. So I like the pick with the Jags as well, because I think that's going to be similar. They are also stacked along both lines, really. I mean, the offensive line's taken a bit of a knock this year, but they're still going to be a team who's going to punch you in the face and and we're going to be better for having done it. So, uh, yeah, I, I liked Camp. And like as I say, we, we did show that little bit of an edge sometimes because I think we are a better team than them. And I think overall, we just about won it to where I want us to be at and we're a better team. So I loved, I, I enjoyed the week, I'm not going to lie. And the injuries were to a minimum. So always a bonus. All right, let's move it on now to the pressers. Uh, so Dan Campbell, I mentioned, was first up. He said about going into joint practices, he was looking just for competing at a high level and the attention to the small details on both sides of the ball. About the Teddy signing, he said, I was with him for two years. I see how he works for the offense, works for the young guys, comes in the day before the game, takes the young wide receivers, takes them through the game plan, reps them, tells them what he's looking for with those reps. Breeze went down with injury and he came in as starter and kept it afloat going 5-0. And, oh, and that means a lot to me personally. Then in a three-year period, 
this is definitely the most competitive and best roster we've ever had. If something happens, you want to feel like you can keep the ship afloat, brackets, at quarterback. If you're a bubble guy, he said, you've got two teams evaluating you this week, so I'd be hyped, man. This is the absolute best. Basically, you know, if you don't make it with the Lions, be a number 54, maybe the Giants pick you up, or vice versa. So there's a little more pressure this week. There's going to be a separator for some of these guys. There's fans out there every day. There's two teams, two staffs. It's going to be a bit more chaotic, and that will sort the wheat from the chaff. And he said, Teddy's likely not doing anything until next week. And here we are. Uh, there's new terminology for Teddy, so it will take him a minute to acclimatise, but he's been in so many schemes and so many teams that he'll know all the concepts, they'll just be called something slightly different. Moving on to players, we had Alex Anzalone on the same day. He said that joint practices are super important, and Dan Campbell emphasises that well in terms of evaluation and earning jobs. He said it's definitely more fun with a crowd against another team on defence. Not going up against our offence once was nice. Not covering Gibbs in the flat is a blessing. However, having to face Darren Waller once or twice is always going to be tough. He said every competition brings out the best in people. Barnes and Campbell are at different points in their career. And I mean, not much, but hey. So Jack trying to play catch-up in terms of experience. Derek's playing faster than he ever has before and making that step. He said our communication has definitely improved with more time in the system for everyone. So passing people off. Seeing things in that offense, everything is getting a little easier in that sense. So I feel like I'm playing in a bit more of my natural position as the weak side linebacker. Knowing what AG wants from this defense is perhaps the most comfortable I've ever been in my career. And he said about Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, he brings a lot of the energy on this defense. I played with him in Florida at the Saints and now here. He gets everyone in the right mindset. I'll stop there. Dan Campbell and Alex Anzalone. I mean, Dan just continues to impress every time he gets in front of that podium he can't not be himself but Anzalone I thought was just very refreshing too you know he clearly speaks very well articulates exactly what he wants you can see why the team regard him as a leader on this team yeah and not to spoil too much of what I put in the discord but we found out why Teddy was likely not doing anything till this week since he recently welcomed a, uh, a second son so Congratulations to Teddy for having the baby. I hope everything goes well with that. But he's completely right. Teddy can probably, he could have come in in week three after the third preseason game. And then if we needed him week one, probably would have been able to do something because, as you said, he's been around the block. He's done it with the Vikings. He's done it with the Saints. He's done it with the Dolphins. He's been in so many different systems. So having that connection with Dan, probably having Ben, who could easily sit down with him and explain things, having Goff there to do the same probably would have hit the ground running anyway and we're seeing it today with the taking the young wide receivers and that doing it after practice with Dylan Drummond with J-Mo with um, Avery Davis who we just re-signed Divine Sigbo who needs some work in the passing game to get up to speed on that we're seeing that already and then with AA as well I can see what I can see him obviously him being glad not to have a cover like Gibbs in the flat anymore I bet any linebacker will say that because Gibbs will absolutely break your ankles as we saw with Bobby Okereke and then him playing in his more natural position with like side of a linebacker, I do have to agree. Like we love A8 a bit, but the Mike in our scheme is more like the sort of run defending guy while the Will scrapes around and does a bit more of the coverage and the sort of outside zone stuff. So that does, in my opinion, fit A a bit better. While someone like Campbell, who is the bit more stocky, big run stopping linebacker, does fit him a bit more. So I completely agree. And him having that connection to, uh, to CJ. Probably is another underrated bit that probably brought him here because having AA who's been here for two years, knows the scheme, knows the staff. AJ will probably tell him one thing, he could probably get the proper low down from AA 
they're like the sort of stuff that AG won't tell him. So great to hear. Yeah, I've got much to add there. All right, moving on to Jared Goff then to finish up August 8th. He said it's nice to go against a different team and instead of RO versus RD, it's Lions versus Giants and we're competing as a team. So there's still room to grow. There's been good stuff. There's days we'd like back to. But right now it's good to be stressed and work through those things together. On Dylan Drummond, he said he's a good player. He does everything right. Continually on time. Fast, sudden, smart, good hands. He's a good player. On Sam Laporte, he said he's a second rounder for a reason. He has a good feel for space. Understands the game well. He plays without thinking, but in a good way. He's not making mistakes twice. And getting him in space with ball in hand is a goal of this offense in general. He said on press negativity, he said, playing with a chip on your shoulder always helps. He said, I've got personal ones that fire me up. And he said, I don't really care about the disrespect or respect out there. I'm just trying to win games for this team. On Teddy, he said, I can't wait to get him in. Heard lots of good things about how supportive he is and what a good locker room guy he is. And on the aims for the week, he said, we had two pre-snap penalties that I want to eliminate in prior practices. He said, making plays further down the field, their defense just keeps it tight. So he was kind of looking forward to airing it out a bit. Moving on to the next day, and Dan was at the podium again. So obviously the Lions come out after the, after a really good day for the offense, but an interesting day on defense. And he said, this is great work for us. You get some unbelievable, val uh, unbelievably valuable evaluation from it. That's a really wordy thing to say. Um, they hit us with some tempo off on offense yesterday. That was great. It tests you. So you want to see growth. You aren't looking for these massive jumps. You're just looking to take the little st steps day after day. In terms of the players that impressed, he listed out Laporta, Gibbs, Branch, Starling, and Drummond once again making plays on Starling specifically. He said he doesn't take shit. It's great to see because otherwise he'll never be a player in this league. On Antoine Green, he said he's inconsistent. He does some things and they really show up and then they dip. But he's a young player and the more he can lessen that, the better off he's going to be. On Anzalone, he said he can play all the positions. It's one of the reasons why he's a huge asset for us. But yes, he's more naturally a will, and that fits his skill set. He played so fast yesterday and took it up a notch, and it helps that Jack and Barnes turned it on next to him as well. On the gunner competition, he said, we're still looking at people. We may need some more growth there, and we've got a couple of ideas. We may look at some other guys there too. We know that Jerry can do it, and that's someone that can be there, and maybe Will Harris as well. But we need growth from Starling and Green. These wide receivers, they've got to be able to take that gunner job. On the joint practices, he said they're comparable to the level that was shown against Indianapolis in the previous year in terms of competitiveness. He said the competition was great last year and the intensity will go up again today in the second day. He said it's a tug of war. You just keep competing and see who gets the best of whom each day. On Chauncey at safety, he said he's a highly instinctive player, an excellent communicator, and you see the growth of him uh, and he's elevating Kirby as well. So Tracy's competing as well. He's very much in the competition. On Hutch, he said he's got more in the toolbox. He was already confident, but he's grown in that regard, and his game has elevated. He's got a counter, a bull rush, a spin move. He's violent. He can shed in the run game, sets the edge, has a high motor. He's taken it up a notch, and that's what you want to see. On Levi, he said he's growing being able to just play football. This is the longest we've ever had him without injury, I feel like, in consecutive practices. And he's just playing football, getting used to it. And I see growth. He's getting better. He's in a good spot just to keep growing. On Barry's statue, which got revealed last week. Last week? No, it's going to get revealed before game one, but it was announced it was going to get revealed. He said, he's the GOAT, man. 
And to be able to stand with him, talk with him, he's the most notable face of the franchise and it's an honour. It's great what they're doing with the statue and he's just such a humble guy and the guys in the locker room can see that and it's just great to have him around the team. On James Houston, he said, in base they're trying to play him at the Sam and Charles is playing at that position at such a high level and he's locked in. For Houston, it's all a mental thing and it's consistency for him as well. He makes some plays, but then he dips. We'll keep working on it with him and he is working on it, but it's still early. We expect him to continue to grow. I think he's handling it well. We've had discussions with him about things that he needs to think about and he's working on those and he understands that he's in a competition. And he said... I am who I am. They are who they are. I don't have to preach high energy. I want us to focus on the details of what we do, the discipline, and then just let them go and do what they do. When you get the right guys in, you don't need to preach energy because they bring it themselves. It was a long press conference with a heck of a lot of detail in there on a lot of different players. So I'll stop there. Boys, Dan gave a lot more on this one in particular, on Levi, on Hutch, on Barry, on Houston, on himself, on Garner Johnson, the joint practice in general, on Alexander Loney, Antoine Green, the players who impressed in the previous day, and the Porter Gibbs branch styling, and Drummond. I mean, it's a, a wealth of knowledge. And uh, what, what did you take away from it? I mean, I think the biggest takeaway out of all of this is he's not, he's not unhappy with anything in regards to the way this team's doing. Like, there's a lot of praise being sung out there and that. But then when it comes to players who are having struggles, he talks about Antoine Green, you know, he talks about Houston. But is always caveat with these guys are getting better. They're just having, they're facing hurdles. It's taking time to get over them. But they're getting to where they want to. So it's, no one's slacking. Everybody's working hard. He's impressed with a lot of what he's seeing and, I don't know. I just feel like his overall demeanor recently has been a lot happier. You know, in those first two years, it was tough for him in parts. In big parts, you could see him getting very emotional. You could see it was tough sometimes. And this year, he just he just looks a lot happier when he's talking about these guys. He speaks with such passion. He speaks with, you know, such energy. And it's like, I think these guys are vibing off. I, I get the feeling that, like, no one's letting him down everyone's doing what he expects them to do and they're all working to be hard at it. And, you know, that, that that's what I take away from all these. Cause it, and, and it's great, really. That's what you want. You want everybody to be in this competitive environment and to carry on growing and that. So, yeah, that's what I took away from it the most. He's, he seems very happy at the minute. Yeah, not much more to add except for, all right, if you're still in the UK and you're still available, you know how to find us. Come join us. <laughs> Oh, I was so prepared to just pop down to London and say hi. If he was like, yeah, for my UK fans, I'll be here. Uh, unfortunately, never came it's, to fruition. It's, it's the guy, you know what it was like with the ball in his hand? It's very elusive. You can never find him. Oi. Right. Let's move it on. couple more here, um, pre-game, and then we've got the post-game stuff as well. So Taylor Decker. He said, whether it's a success in terms of the joint practices is down to each individual coach and what they wanted to see. But big picture stuff, how do you respond to playing a new team, the competitiveness, playing fast, IDing things? He said, nothing's out there different for me, despite um, the governor of, of Michigan being out there watching practice. He said, if watching people affected me, I shouldn't have this job. He said, the familiarity with the team is huge. The players are confident, but we can still be better. We're not going to stagnate. People rating us or not doesn't matter. We have to have a professional mindset. I remember him saying 
very much a similar thing actually in the spring as well how like i don't care whether we're meant to be bad or good let's go and do a job um he did say about the running back position, it's great to have a yin and yang. Not to say that David Montgomery doesn't have that big playability, but Gibbs has got the home run ability. It's a unique skill, and he's going to be a great player in this league. And on Colby Salisbury, he said, we're throwing him into the fire a bit. That's a good thing. He's the personality type, I think, to rise to the challenge. There's good days and bad, of course, especially for a rookie. Uh, and how do you respond to that is key. Do you trust your training when you're just across from different guys? That's a huge thing. He'll be just fine. He's got quick feet and he wants to get better. And just to finish up this day, Aleem McNeil came in. And what a guy Aleem is. Uh, he said, sharpening tools against a new opponent, someone different is great. There was a lot of violence being displayed. There was a lot we needed to clean up from yesterday. We were putting the pressure on. He said, I feel a lot better. I feel more free in terms of being a little bit of a lighter weight and having that rush ability. He said, it felt great going against another opponent, but it's just the beginning. And in terms of power, he said, I knew I hadn't lost any, and I can tell I'm quicker off the ball as well. On Broderick Martin, he said, he's got his feet under him now. He understands what's going on, the why to what we're doing, and the technique is looking a lot better. And on Coach Scott, he said, he's really helped the mental aspect of my game, the way he breaks it down so that we can fully grasp the concept and the why of what we're doing so that we can play faster. So... Taylor Decker and Aline McNeil boys, I mean, Taylor is super consistent, not just as a pass blocker, but in his press conferences too, just preaching this professional mentality. And Aline is talking big, but also just comes across like a, a super guy to have in that room. What, what did you make of it? Oh, I'm still reading. <laughs> I was waiting for Ant to talk. Decker. Oh, so, go on. Uh, it's, it's fine. Because so usually I was taking the lead in the first part of the month, so like, Ant, talk first. But yeah, Decker, what else do we expect from the guy who's our longest tenured player? Absolute legend. I it, it takes how far back he's been here. I remember when I was first getting into the game, it was the draft we took him, and I was so happy. And it's just so happy to see him go for all. Start kind of okay with cold round, make the old rookie team, then to go through what we all had to go through. And now he's sort of rising again, getting to the point where he's part of the he's the leader of an elite O-line. He's getting sort of plonded, even though some places, not naming any offensive line ranking places, but they didn't have him in the top 20, left tackles in the league, which is a bit surprising. Um, but absolute legend. It was great to see him as well. I know it's not mentioned in the press conference, but he's a good talk. And you saw it where him and his wife were on Danny's Off The Record podcast earlier this year. Such a good guy outside of work, like outside of work in verse comms as well. So it's great for him to have to sort of take Colby and just being because that's what the impression I got with him talking about Colby's. I know Colby's going to be a right guard with some flexibility to make right tackle, but for Decker to sort of notice things about him as well really speaks to the sort of him being the dad of the group. And then obviously, Alim, I won't say too much on because obviously we've got his number one fan on the podcast, but. I can't wait to see him absolutely blow shit up when it comes to the regular season. I keep saying it. It was disrespectful, the rating Madden gave him. And I can't wait for him to turn around, spit on that, and then just trod all over it and just rampage. He is the, to quote the juggernaut from X Men 3, The Last Stand, he's the juggernaut bitch. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I love Aline. Aleem's going to be great. Aleem has, you know, year three when you get for these nose tackles interior guys, that's when they really start to come of age. They sort of work out what they need. It's like him. He's worked out. He just needs to trim down a little bit, get that little extra yard. And, and you get that when you've had your years in the league. You figure what you're good at, what you're bad at, what you need to improve. And he's going to have a big year. But 
you know, he, he mentions Broderick again there and, you know, we, we got a bit of pushback after we did the Broderick video and we said, oh, look, just how good this guy could be early. And, you know, every time I hear people talk about him, you know, it, it it's similar to a few of the other bits you hear in there. It's that, you know, there are issues for him to work on, but he's figuring them out very quickly and he's putting in a lot of work to do so. And I don't think that his timeline is going to be as long as some people think it's going to be until he's in the league making plays and getting some significant reps in the interior of that line. And, you know, you kind of get excited for the prospect of them too. And then you add Levi in there as well as like this real young core of DTs who you're going to build around for years to come, hopefully, if Levi can stay healthy in regards to what they offer you. You know, Broderick offers you that against the run, a big, firm anchor presence in the middle of that line. Aline does as well, but at the same time, he's very athletic when it comes to getting the running backs and making those plays, and then Levi just collapsing in the pocket. You know, it's it's a nuanced, varied group of DTs, and you think, this is pretty much going to be a good unit, but, you know, Aline will be the guy who sees Broderick the most, and and again, you hear about him every time, and it's like you can tell they're like they're being super cautious. The same, the pads are too high. This technique he needs to work on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But at the same time, you can't help but you know you they can't help but admire him for the way he is going about his business. So, you know that room just excites me a lot. I know we've not bona fide superstar in there, but we have very highly talented young guys who are ready to be a superstar. So. Mm, I'm looking forward to that pairing immensely. I'm not going to lie. And as for Taylor, you know, Taylor deserves this. Taylor deserves to be part of an elite O-line and playing well. Because like I say, he has gone through a lot of crap here. And yeah, a lot of us have doubted him over the years as well. And he's proved everybody wrong. And, you know, he deserves this success. Hopefully we do something big this year for him. Moving on to the post-game presses now. Dan Campbell started us off and he said it feels good to win. Guys came out, we cut it loose. Simple game plan. We knew what we were facing and the young guys came out. The vets that were there did a great job too. On Maurice, he said he's got that ability, an outstanding return. He broke a few tackles and had some great blocks in front of him. It's what we preach all the time. On the defensive line performance, he said you could feel it. It's nice to see the Aquara brothers crush the can. All in all, we created enough to create some problems for them on offense. I'm hoping on tape review, it will point to good fundamentals. On Jameson, he said he doesn't need that Big box score. He doesn't need 10 catches for 160 yards and two touchdowns. I just wanted to get him lined up, see that urgency, the route definition and detail and finish. For the most part, he did that. He was in it. He cut it loose. It's not perfect. And we've got stuff to clean up across the board. But I came out feeling positive about him. I wanted him with Nate so that when Nate came out, he came out. And this is step one for him. With no preseason or camp last year, we'll get him ready for Jacksonville when he'll play there too. You can tell how hyped he gets with his teammates, man. It doesn't surprise me how hyped he got for Maurice Alexander when he finished off that that big kick return, pump return even. Um, He said about Nate, if I don't completely move the spreadsheet while I'm talking about it. Anyway, here we go. On on, uh, Nate, he said, was getting hit for the first play interception and it was a miscommunication on the snap and I put that down to us as coaches. So there's something along the lines of, they weren't going to snap it, but it got snapped anyway. So I wonder whether that was going to count as a negative against Pierce Baker before he got injured anyway, but never mind. 
And he said, uh, on the second one, it's in, on both him and J-Mo getting squeezed. It just didn't work out. But there's more positive than negative uh, generally. On Justin Jackson retiring, he said he was having a really good camp and he brought value to us. But he's in a good place and he felt like he just wanted to move on. There's no ill will there. He came to the crossroads and decided to turn the way that he did. He said, I wish him well. And if there's anything I can do for him, I will. On Chase Cota, he said, he's the quiet sleeper. He's done some really good things under the radar. He doesn't mess things up. And today, he makes those plays that really catch your eye. He can play all the positions at wide receiver, and he produces. And now it's not as it's hard not to see it. It makes me want to give him more reps and bump him up to see what he can really do. On Martinez, he said he was really composed and handled things really well. We're hard on him in practice, but he commanded the huddle, was efficient, and ran the offense well. He didn't miss a beat. Unfortunately, he's going to get a little less next week because Teddy's coming in and he needs reps. So it's going to be Nate and Teddy. So that's a shame. Boys, I'll stop there before going on to the players post game and Dan Campbell's conference just now, who someone's noted for me, which is really nice. Thank you. Uh, Dan, talking about the game afterwards. I mean, we've talked about this somewhat, but you spoke about Justin Jackson as well. What, what did you make of what Dan was talking about, especially the botch snap and being hit from behind by Nate? Because it does give context to that play. It does, but at the same time, you know, Dan isn't the kind of guy to come out and just publicly trash his players. So while he said that, I imagine in the locker room there was some words between, not like not harsh words, but sort of a conversation between him. Uh, bloody hell, why have I forgot the name of our bloody QB coach? Brunel, Mark Brunel, and Sudfeld, kind of on it, sort of what are you seeing there, that kind of thing, and him explaining where to get better. So while, yeah. Might be on Pierce Baker for snapping it a bit early. That doesn't really explain the Matt Nelson stuff either, unless he was working off the snap. In which case, surely you would know since you're about two feet to his left that the snap was happening. It's it explains a bit of it, but not fully. And I explain I expect, expect Sudfeld and Nelson to feel a bit bad when they were doing tape review Saturday or today. Everything else. Agree with the JMO. He's, he's come out today in his uh, in his press conference. Says he's treating this like a regular season. He just wants to get as many snaps as possible, and he's excited to sort of, and excited just to get out there. And obviously, he's saying he's following up his coach that Pod talked to. So we know this guy's going to keep working. And then yeah, it's a shame with Justin Jackson. I was very happy when we brought him back because he does have that thing. But as he said, if he's reached the crossroads and he's decided he wants to retire. At least he's retiring with his health, kind of thing. That's the big thing. Like, if he's going with his health, then that's you can't really knock him for that. If it, so, I'm happy. I mean, Nelson did not get beaten off the snap. It wasn't like he was beaten quick off because something went wrong there. His technique is god awful. The two times he was beaten, it was with his hands because he just hasn't picked up technique whatsoever. So I feel like that's covering for a bit. I agree with Ash. Dan doesn't publicly trash his players, which is admirable, but also then when Sudfeld's not taking no snaps in practice today, it's kind of like, huh, so why did you say that the other day uh, when he's not taking any snaps at all with the first team? Um, you can't tell me Sudfeld had a net positive in that game. I, I get, again, he's going to say, look, he did a lot of the fundamental things right and all these little bits of bobs and all we see is the throws, which, you know, there is some degree to that. But where he should be getting evaluated now is his ability to 
make plays on a football field, not just do basic fundamentals, but to make basic throws, which he can't do. And he made basic decisions poorly, which he also can't do. So there was no net negative there. So, but again, I'm not, you know, I don't really like the, the, the coach to come out and trash him. So I'm not too bothered about it, but by what he's saying, I also don't believe him either. So there is that. As for everything else, you know, again, he just, Talks a lot of sense with everything. I think he's taken a lot out of this game. I think there was a lot to take out of this game, positive and and stuff to work on. But this is what preseason is. What I like about Dan is he doesn't overreact. He doesn't say that was awful. We need to go back to the drawing board. It's just this is a process. Everything from spring training to the end of preseason is a process. It's not about if you have a bad day, the world's going to end. It's if you have a bad day, it happens. And that's what training is. So you know, you come back and you learn. But I feel like overall they've taken a lot more positives out of this week than negatives. And and that's what you want. You're building up through preseason now. The season's coming in less than a month. You know, you want to be on that upward ascendancy when you're getting ready to full game fitness. So yeah, I'm, I'm reasonably confident overall in what he said. Moving into the post-game press as Chase Cota was up first, he said it's the same game plan that was in joint practices. We just went out and executed. And he said, I always get nervous before games, but after the first few snaps, it went away. And he referenced how nice it was to play with his cousin um, in the NFL scene for the first time, who is Brady Breeze, apparently. So Ash is now just typing along that. Uh, so yeah, so Cota's dad played in the NFL and his dad is... His as Breeze's uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Jack Campbell was up next and he said, just cleaning up communication, some technique stuff and pad level. He said it's a surreal experience to play in the NFL. First one under his belt, he was a little nervous, but now he's ready to rock and roll and improve week in, week out. And he was asked about his welcome to the NFL moment by Jeremy. And he uh Jeremy, sorry. And he said, versus Tom Kennedy earlier in the year, he said how precise the quarterback's throw were was. Back shoulder stuff exactly where they want it. It makes it easy for the wide receiver to kind of do their business on you. And just having to deal with that level of precision was something that was really challenging for him. Uh, Julian Acquire next up, he said, it's great to play with my brother. He's my role model amongst other vets that he grew up watching. And he did say that he heard Dan Campbell reference Julie, uh, his own consistency. And he said, I just need to out there and do my job, stay violent, be consistent, work on my pad level. And I need to do this again next week and get even better. And Maurice Alexander was up next. He was asked a couple of questions, but most of them were pretty inconsequential, I think. But he just gave the credit to his 10 other guys on that play who he said made it easy for him on that. And then to finish it off, Dan Campbell today said he appreciated the, the crowd and noted that the Giants had to go silent count in the game, although maybe they were just repping doing that anyway. Uh, Moe Ibrahim, he said he won't be back this week in practice after an in get the in-game injury. On Teddy, he said he'll see some snaps in practice today and will make a decision on if he plays in the preseason game at the end of the week. And on the new deal for uh, Khalif Raymond, he said he's a self-made man. It's a credit to him. He embodies what we're all about. He's one of our guys. So thoughts, boys, on the post-game presses and Dan Campbell just now today. I mean, again, it. so Julian, first off, he's absolutely right. He needs to be more consistent. I mean, I love the game the other day. I hold my hand up. You know, he's had a good one, but his issue has always been his consistency. If he comes out and has a dud against the Jags now, then I'm back to cutting him. You know, this is, you've got to, 
you know, build on this. You know, you need to be ready for the season. You need to be ready to, con- to contribute. And, and you know what? We all want to see them two together playing. You, you want to see Julian and Romeo on each edge coming in, crushing the can, so to speak. And you want that depth on your team. So it's good that he knows where he's at. He's healthy for now, which is good. He's playing well, which is good. Can he combine them both for the rest of it? You know, we will see. But hopefully he can. Um, you know, for Kota... You know, I was just really glad for him. You know, he's been, he looked like he enjoyed himself in that. I think, you know, the pressure's off a bit now. Obviously, he's still got a lot of work to do, but the fact that he's gone out there and done it and he knows he can do it, that'll alleviate a lot of stress. He'll get some more targets now. We'll see how he does next week. Um, And then, yeah, it's outside of that. It's just, no, it's just been good. The players looked happy, you know, and again, it's just, it's just the theme of this game. I think a lot of satisfaction. A lot of realization. There's still a lot of work to do, but overall, they had a really good week. Yeah, completely agree. It's interesting to hear, sort of, to get to peek behind the curtain with the welcome to the NFL moment for Jack Campbell. It does kind of make sense. I know we've harped on this a lot, but him having the perfect rise doesn't really show him tapes of someone like a precise route runner like Kennedy is the kind of person to sort of put him in stitches, kind of thing. But it's great to see well here that he's learn from that and he's going to improve in coverage because he's really good in coverage uh, Friday night. Really impressed by him. Julian, it's great for him to play with his brother. Showed out here, but as you say, we keep saying it's the consistency now. If he shows it next week and the week after and he does some stuff on special teams, maybe, but he's really got to beat out Houston to make it for this roster, as we said, because the top, our front six in terms of the defensive ends, are pretty much set with Hutch, Charles, uh, Harris, Charles Harris, um, Pascal, Kamish, and then Romeo. So we've got five there, and then Houston is the six. He's he's really got to make the argument to keep him over someone like Anthony Pittman or Savion Smith, someone who does stuff on special teams. That's really where he's got to work. And then just Dan today, I I, I was on the point of those things. I was listening again. Great talk, like. Great to hear from him. The Leaf, you you could you can almost hear him getting a bit emotional talking about Leaf. He is really one of those guys that proves what this regime is about, as he says. And then he and then obviously him thanking the crowd because it's weird. Well, weird in terms of in a good way that we were so good that the Giants had to go to a silent count. This is something that you expect when we play in Lambo. We have to go to a silent count during the regular season for it to happen to the Giants. During week one of the preseason, just phenomenal. And so, perhaps, as he said, hats off to the crowd and hopefully continue this week against the Jags because they're going to be another good test for us. I know we beat them last year, like we did the Giants, but they'll offer, they'll offer something different with T Law and his big arm. Calvin Ridley, who's a wide receiver, one with chip on his shoulder, something to prove after he was the first casualty in the NFL gambling thing. And now, obviously, we've got JMO. And so it's going to be a good test again for us and him to go up against Doug Peterson, someone who's won a Super Bowl, is respected around the NFL. Dan to sort of match minds against him and play that chess match is going to be great to see. Yeah, so that is it for the roundup for the presses. We did have one question uh, come in, and if you guys have any other questions, please don't forget to throw them at us now before we wrap up because we've been going for a while here. Mike Marine asking a question about the wide receivers because of how good some of the depth guys have been doing. He said, 
Would you mind keeping wide receivers Cota and Drummond on the roster along with St. Brown, Leaf, Reynolds and J-Mo? I mean, J-Mo doesn't have to be a decision until week eight. So that decision is somewhat deferred. But that would mean that Mike is leaving out people like Marvin, like Denzel Mims, um, Maurice Alexander, Antoine Green. They're all not making it because he wants Cota and Drummond to get in. What do you think, boys? I mean, Mims needs to see the field. Yeah. I'm not taking Mims unless he sees the field extensively in these last two games. He's proven nothing here. You know, Antoine Green's above him, Cota's above him, Drummond's above him. At the moment, Mims is right at the very bottom. You know, he's he's got to work his way from like wide receiver nine or wherever we're at at this moment in time. It, it depends. I need to see more at this moment in time because I'm not willing to cut Antoine Green at all. I want him on the roster, but at the same time, if Drummond and Cota both earn a spot on there, I don't really want to lose them either. But you've got to make room for Marvin. You've got to have a vet in the room, like a really a, a good high-level vet in the room, which, Mar- which Marvin is, and we just don't have in anybody else at all. So maybe it's going to be the case, if J-Mo's not here for six weeks, you will take Marvin, you will take two of those three in green, Cota and Drummond as well, and you can hopefully stash the other one and then, you know, work with them guys for the first six weeks. But if Cole and Drummond are in it, yeah, take them. Undrafted free agents have come onto this team and made themselves big parts. You, you can't be scared to do that, especially if guys on the main team are, are not doing it. But, you know, this won't matter when we trade for Mike Evans, you know, so, <laughs> or, you know, hypothetical or... I mean, since you just kind of brought it up, sorry to break your heart, Ant, after our discussion earlier, but Zeke has just signed for the Patriots, so there's your dream RB3. Gone, uh, he's gone to another team, unfortunately. I have not said a word about Zeke. <laughs> I know. No, he's I don't, just, I don't pulling, like... your, he's oh, just right. pulling your leg because of what he said earlier, and our reaction was one of disgust. So oh, he's, right. he's, he... <laughs> Yeah. I don't... He's gone where? Patriots. Hey, Patriots. Six mm, hang on. Uh, up, up to six mil was six the word. Yeah. Um Quirky Zerky just said on the wide receivers, he thinks Amaras and Brown, Khalif, Jamo, Rain, Reynolds, and Marvin are the safe five. Of course, as I said before, Jamo's being deferred. So depends on whether you want to keep five or six, but there's a safe four in there at least on the 53 cutdown day. So he's postulating that it's a battle for maybe one or two spots between Kota, Mims, Drummond, and Green. And I think you've got to throw Maurice in there because of that return and that upside he does bring. But I would say he's the last of those people for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and mean, there was also a question about running back three. I mean, we've just got so many of them right now. I, I really do think that Reynolds is entrenched there because he was before the injury. And so you've kind of got to unseat him. And I don't see anyone really doing that. Do you, boys? I mean, you know what, the way I'm feeling right now about that is I just take two running backs and take an extra receiver. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't really want to cut any of these receivers at the minute. So if there's a place where you can cut otherwise, because I'm going extra on DTs as well. So it, I don't know. It, this is where Kabinda comes in, you know, and everyone's forgotten about Jason. But, you know, if 
if you can have a guy who can be a receiver of sorts and can run the ball in the back and work out the backfield. Because, I mean, if Gibbs and Monty get their recommended workloads, you only need a Cabinda type after them to sort of come in and do cleanup reps and stuff like that. So that's where he gets a shot in, and then you sort of work out a bit of the issue with receiver as well. So it, it, it's tough, um, but... It's whoever does well out, whoever the two or three best guys are in preseason out of the big group of them goes. I think it's as simple as that. And at the minute, they say it's between Mims, Green, Drummond, Coa, all these guys fighting for a few spots. But I don't know. Maybe you do need to see Marvin a bit. Maybe you do need to put some of those in. I mean, I guess Josh Reynolds is dead to the world now. I mean, was Reynolds in that initial group? Yes, he was. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, maybe you're going to have to put some of these guys in. Or maybe, maybe we know what Reynolds can do, but I don't see. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like he deserves to be a lock who doesn't deserve to have to go through preseason. I, I, I feel like he's not that secure on the roster that he gets a free pass at this. No, no, I, I and, agree. And, and if, I think he's and the trouble is quietly solid camp. But the trouble is. If Coulter and Drummond both ball out and one of Mims or Green does as well, and you've got three very talented guys who are fighting for that roster spot there, and then you've kind of got Reynolds who's been sat there doing nothing and isn't a lock on the road, then you're like, then you've got a problem because you're potentially sending away a guy who will be really good on your roster, especially at the depth positions, and you're kind of putting one through who's meh. And I don't know. It's it's tough. I think if this carries on, you need to see some of these fringe guys come in for three and sort of, like say, right, we'll just remind you why these guys are not at our level. I mean, for me on the wide receivers, if Cota, Drummond or Green don't make it, I mean, two of them were undrafted and one of them might have gone undrafted if we didn't pick him up. So the only people I think that are going to pick these guys up are either the Giants or the Jags because they see what they like in joint practices. But I don't see the rest of the league picking these guys up because if they wanted to, they could have done that in the draft. But the trouble also, but the thing is now, the league is also cottoning on to the fact that Brad Holmes is very good at this. You know, two years ago, we have never been known as a team that can find small talent from these guys and, you know, and get them into the team. If Kota balls out all preseason and we cut him, it's not going to be like, oh, the Lions are just cutting some bum, let him to get to the practice squad. It's like, hang on, the Lions, you know, they're very good with these guys. And if they're playing well and, you know, they don't really want to let them go, I don't think a lot of them will make it through waivers. It's all about the expectations to your team. People know that Brad's smart and people know this coaching staff is good. So you can't go by that. And these young receivers, if they hit, you're getting them on good deals. They're good depth pieces for your team. You're not spending millions on some of these other guys who maybe give you sort of similar production either. Um, you know, we've got depth pieces at receiver. You've got Khalif on there. You know, you've got Marvin on there. You don't need so many depth guys if if you're going to get some really talented youngsters and you're going to get your star receiver back after six weeks. I don't think it can be a cut and dry issue. Any thoughts, Sash? Yeah, so I was 
sort of latched onto sort of RB3 things. I know in Dan's pressing, I was looking for the quote. I know obviously we've got Gibbs and we've got Montes tied in, and then it's obviously the issue of RB3, but they're all injured. He says it's starting at special teams. So I think that really gives Craig and Jamar a leg up right now, even though they're injured, because they're they're used to how fit plays. So Craig's been kick returner last year in preseason. Jamar's been working on his special teams. That's what supposedly was holding him back for the first two years. He's been working on that. I know that Snell and Exigbo have both played special teams in other systems, but for me right now, Jamar and Craig offer the best off the best of sort of being able to play at that RB3 spot and actually take snaps because like Jamar's done it with Pittsburgh in his rookie season. Craig, we've seen what he did the uh, past couple of seasons as a bit like the backup RB3. It's it's tough, like sort of balance, as we say, the balance between being able to play and do stuff and offense and also do the special teams. And it will, will happen, as we keep saying, we have to cut good players. That's why Cote and Drummond to sort of go into sort of wide field five, six. I think they do have a chance of making the roster if they can shout on special teams. So Kota is on the coverage units. He's on kick and punt coverage units, graded averagely. Drummond, I know, try, uh, took one kick and then was on the coverage units as well. I don't see Marv. Like, I know he's a veteran. He's got the back stuff. He doesn't really do that much on special teams. Nor does... I don't think Mims has done that much either. So I think special teams is going to be the thing that really allows the UDFAs to make their claims. So I could see Cota and Drummond being sort of five, like five and six while JMO's out. And then if when JMO comes back, it might be which one did more for me on special teams and offense. They're the ones that then go to the practice squad unless they absolutely bowl out. It's a hard decision and someone like Chicago or Minnesota signs them up because Let's be honest, they don't really have wide receivers. Like Chicago has DJ Moore, did really well in preseason, but Claypool hasn't really hit the heights of his rookie season. And Moon is a good wide receiver too, but that's it. They need someone else. Minnesota have Justin Jefferson, best receiver in the league in that. Justin Addison, who they've drafted, good receiver at Pitt, didn't so much at USC. They need someone else. So, so based long term story short, special teams. Comes out especially as much as I probably and hates mm. to hear it because it's real one too many players that can play in offense and defense. It's going to be special teams that's going to be the deciding factor, and it's really a leg up for the Cota, for Jumund, and for Craig and Jamar right now. No, I don't disagree. That's what you get from those guys out there, but I've seen enough from Cota and Jumund to know they can take snaps in this team yeah. if they carry on. So I've no issue with that at all. One very quick question for Mike Marine, and then we'll get out of here, at least on the recorded segment of the show. He says, if Glasgow wins the right guard spot, can Big V be considered tackle three? I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, you, you keep him this year, for sure. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if Vahe does win it, then you've got good depth. You can kick Nelson off the team, which is fine by me. So, uh, I th- I th- I'm not sure. I th- I, they've not really said much about the right guard yet, but there's a lot of options. There's a lot of options, and there's a long way to go yet, but it could happen, yeah. Yeah, so I know it was it was, it, it was Stefan Prada that tried to won their post uh, train like training practice recaps. They were discussing Big V as sort of a tackle option. He that might be if let's say. If 
Saul or Deku goes down, that might be our best way to get the best five out there. Is that like big V out to tackle and then put Graham in as the right guard? So I could definitely see it, but into like what the team usually wants from their OT3 is the sixth lineman thing. And unfortunately, Nelson in the past couple of years has shown enough to do that. So unless someone fingers crossed it's Eze, because he's getting good reviews in camp, shows that the ability to do that sort of six O lineman role and beats Nelson out of that for that role. It's unfortunately going to be Nelson just because of the familiarity. That's what this team wants. They don't want to sort of, to take a risk in this year where we've got high expectations on us. If it's between someone's got a lot of upside and could potentially do great at the role, but also has the range of possibilities where they're absolutely dog. And then they have someone who they know what it is. They are, if they they know they can get consistent, like five out of 10 out of them, they're unfortunately going to go for the five out of 10 because they know what they've got. And then when it comes to a situation where they need to use them, they know what they're going to get out of them. They can sort of trust them to get that and not much more else and not much more less. So, yeah, I'd want it to happen, but... See, tackle three needs to start getting treated like QB2. It's critical to your team. The drop-off when Sewell or Decker is injured is massive and very detrimental to this team. And you've kind of got to have a better option there. I just pray to God the things about the Jets cutting Beckton are true. Get him here faster than anything. Oh, yeah. I'd and I put him trade. in on this team. Yeah. I'd happily trade a conditional day three pick for him. Yeah, I will get him here straight away and put him in and then get rid. But the drop-off is too huge. You've got to put some good... You, we miss Crosby so badly. The, the, the world was a much better place when Terrell Crosby was on this team because he had that ability. Fifth round, swing tackle, can cover both sides for you, can play to the level of a starter for extended absence if need be. You know, it's we, we were just desperate for that. And that is a lovely world to live in when you have a guy like him. All right, that is going to do it for the recorded section of the show. If you're on YouTube or Twitch, stick with us while we go through the end of the read here on the audio pod. Next show on the main podcast, Monday, August 21st, is training camp week four in review, second week of, of uh, joint practices. That one's going to be with the Jags, which starts, I think, tomorrow. Preseason game two in review as well. So that is on Saturday, and we are going to do another live reaction show so i think you'll see me and ash there and ant might pop in too i don't know we'll see what happens but we will be going live at quarter to one 12 45 p.m eastern time or 5 45 p.m uk time so we'll see you there for the jags game you can watch us do our thing with the the commentary you can turn off the uh the uh, tv rubbish because it's it's not it's not there I mean, if you want to listen to Dan Miller, all good, but we yes. do a good job of it as well. Um, and also, and you've got college podcast next uh, tomorrow. Yeah, um, I'm working Wednesday and Thursday, so we're moving it up to tomorrow. It'll be the second part of our preview into the American. Um, some good teams, the reigning champions, Tulane are on there tomorrow, a few others. Mm. It's a very interesting conference this year. Some good deep sleep players, if you like, doing draft early, so... Um, yeah, come check us out for that. And then we're really going to start digging into players and predictions and stuff for the season with that just around the corner. So, uh, yeah, come join us tomorrow if you can. Is the, Are you going to react to the AP poll that came out today or is that going to save the predictions? 
we were going to do it the other week, but it just took too long. I maybe it depends how long, but they, they will be on there. We will do the AP top 25. It's always good fun. So I, I have a lot to disagree with on there. Just going to finish with a one sentence review from Mike the Marine on Twitch. He says, best play by play and color guys from Rural Alliance UK. Appreciate that. <laughs> you really do. You... That's great. That's really cool. Anyway. You can follow us on our socials, Rural Alliance UK, on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and join the Facebook group for worldwide fans, Detroit Lions fans, UK One Pride Worldwide. The website is going to start up real soon with content about the upcoming season. It's rotluk.com. Just remains for me to thank my co-hosts, Anthony Fitzpatrick and Ashley Soden. I'm Matthew Turner, and we're 1-0 in the preseason, baby. Long may it continue. Let's go, Lions One Pride. One Pride.